coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I love it, though. Now me, I not only drink really, I really drink. We are Buzz on Movies. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, to Buzzed on Movies. I'm Teddy. I am Matt. We are your weekly movie-going lifestyle podcast, uh, bringing you some movies, some booze, and some lighthearted discussion, as always. Uh, and this week, as we've been doing for the last few weeks, we're discussing Oscar nominees. It's the last week before the ceremony, so we're here to break down our final thoughts on these movies for you. Yeah. I'm excited. I also like how you describe us as lighthearted, but about every two weeks, I like yell about something. So I just want to <laughs> lighthearted is a relative term, I'd say. Lighthearted. We we don't take this stuff too seriously. We like to get super mad sometimes, but that's that's just part of the spirit of this kind of thing. Yeah, it's okay. Sometimes you just want to be mad. Yeah. The point is, we don't get bogged down in like. The the nitty gritty, the heaviness of all this stuff. We just we're here to have a good time. And what's been filling our time recently is trying to finish up the last of these nominees. Uh, I'm at three remaining right now. I think you're at the same as well. I am also at three. Yes. Which ones do you still have to see? I still have to see that stupid Mary Queen of Scots. Um, <laughs> I, it's become like the bane of my existence. I still have to see Capernaum, but that's going to be easy. There's a showing tomorrow that I'm going to make. And then I still have to see Hale County, which will also be easy because of Canopy. So nice. Yeah, it, it, there, I've got plans for all of them. It, the problem is that I don't want to pay for Mary Queen of Scots the $15 yeah. <laughs> that it will take. And then I'll have to own that movie. I'll have to like forever. I'll have to be like, I own Mary queen of Scots. That's I true. Don't yeah. I don't want to own that movie, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, at least the ones that I've had to buy in the process of doing this, both last year and this year um, have been ones that I at least might watch again at some point. Uh, I, I doubt you're going to want to rewatch Mary queen of Scots. Just my yeah. first my first take. I probably won't end up rewatching that movie. Um, but so far, what I have left to do is um, at Eternity's Gate, The Wife, and Never Look Away. Um, the big one there some is a, definitely some <laughs> kind of variety. cinema. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got all the fun ones out of the way. I've got like the real serious dramas left. Um, but Never Look Away is going to be the biggest difficulty and do you have a place where you can see it do you have a plan yeah i mean i can go to the avalon and i think i'm gonna go tomorrow after work it's just it's kind of an issue because it's all the way up in uh like friendship heights and it's like a three-hour movie and it starts at 7 30 so i'm gonna be getting out at like close to 11 and then have to make my way all the way back down here yeah that's hell it's gonna be a time i'm Um, so sorry that sounds awful but, you know, it's just, it's all in the name of the game. Uh, I've done probably crazier stuff to see. And I, I was considering, you know, driving out to Winchester to see uh, Hale County be- before I found out it was going to be available on Canopy. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've done some crazy stuff. As I, I mean, you, you came to New York. So, yeah, that, that actually, yeah, that, that tops it for every year. In terms, you came of, into New York and got lost in Jamaica for a, a, a movie. 
Okay, that wasn't part of the movie process. That was that was a side uh, side benefit of being in New York. A benefit. Yes, a um, benefit, even benefit. It's I, a new I, borough. Had you got, ever been to Queens? Probably not. So that's okay. I don't think so. I I got to be Home Alone two, Lost in New York, and that's what any young boy dreams of. So you're right. Me you too. Go. I got to be Home Alone two, Lost in New York. Um, I actually was never lost. So, you, but you've been Home Alone two, Lost in New York many times. <laughs> I've never really been lost because I know the train so well. So that's unfair. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah. Uh. So. I'm probably going to try to see at attorney's gate tonight after we finish this. Um, okay. Are you just going to rent it? Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, I, I don't know. Is that one available for rental? I might have to buy it. It is. One. It's rental. Okay. I rented good. it. Good, good, good. Um, Cause so far the only one I've bought has been um, first man. And I just did that cause I wanted to, cause I figured I'd like it and I was right. So I was going to say that wasn't a bad movie to own. I would, I wouldn't hate owning that one. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, so far I've lucked out on seeing in theaters, all the ones that are only, uh, purchase only at this point. Yeah. I, I didn't luck out with Mary Queen of Scots. That's the big one. Um, yeah. So, uh, so why don't we go over briefly what we've seen this week and then, uh, afterwards we'll try to break down what we think the final winners might be. All right. Yeah. I'm in for that. I mean, the the most notable thing that I did this week was I saw all the shorts. Oh, uh, yeah, that's all, big. All three programs. I saw two back-to-back on Saturday. Which two did uh, you see back-to-back? I saw the live action first, followed by the animated shorts, which I thought was a pretty good way to do it because the live action ones are always a little depressing and the animated ones I mean, are a little okay. more lighthearted. Live action ones are always depressing, but it must be noted. I mean, any look into any review on Letterboxd of people who saw them as a program, everybody agrees this was fucking worse than usual. This was like Oh yeah. I mean, last year last year had a decent mix I thought of ones that were like some of them were a bit of a downer and there were there was at least one comedy and there were some that were like more serious but still not like super depressing. Yeah, I thought this last year, year's had a lot that were kind of they had a serious issue that they were covering and a serious tone, but they ended on a message of hope this year's there was just like no hope. Like it was just like everything is lost across the world. It's all done. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Kids are dying. (laughs) I mean, like if four out of five of them, kids died. That's that's pretty remarkable. Was it okay? Was it that many? Okay. It was four, four out of five of them were kids experiencing okay. severe trauma that they right. witnessed or so took Mark, part in. But <laughs> right, right. So the fifth one, a kid didn't die; he just killed someone. So right, the, exactly. <laughs> Somebody who it, it's going to scar him for life. In so. three of them, kids died, and one of them, a kid killed someone. So yeah. right off the bat, we'll get into all of that. Uh, I also saw a Hale County this morning, this evening. Um, okay, that was home watch. And um, I saw the documentary shorts on Sunday. Um, and I also watched uh, Christopher Robin, I think Saturday night. It sounds about right. And then I saw uh, Mirai last night. All right. That was a so, pretty good week for you. Yeah. Yeah. I've I, been trying to work through them as much as I could. What, what have okay. you been seeing? 
Uh, so I saw all of the live action shorts this week. Um, so I saw those on Thursday at the Alamo. Um, nice. it's actually, yeah, it was a really fun place to be, but it was just like everybody groaning in unison half the time. It was just like, <laughs> Jesus, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like there's just like no winning. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I still like, I know that they can't help that when they nominate some, they're all sad, but it's like, there had to be a better way, man. Um, whew. Uh, anyway, I also saw never look away. Um, I saw that in theaters, which was really nice. Um, at cobble Hill, which is a nice, cute little theater, only like a 15 minute walk from my apartment. Um, oh, that's and, yeah, it's really nice. I never get to go. It's like the kind of theater where like old people go during the day, you know, like it's one of those theaters and like all they have is like popcorn, candy and soda and it's very small and the whole place smells like popcorn, everything. And they still show an ad that says, thank you for not smoking in the theater. And it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so should be a given, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, considering you can't smoke inside anywhere ever anymore. Um, but yeah, yeah. so um, it, yeah. So I- I did go to a cigar bar this week. Completely. Oh, I've been. Yeah, I've been to a cigar bar, and I have been to two bars within the. Well, okay, yeah. So I've been to two bars within the past year where you can smoke inside. Although one of them I knew, and that was Miller's in Charlottesville. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> wait, did you still floor. smoke in Miller's? Miller's third floor. Oh, see, I always got the impression it just smelled like that because of like the decades of smoke before they. No, it. people, people still smoke. I have smoked in there many times. Anyway, um, <laughs> then um, the there's a bar in Philadelphia, and I didn't really intend to go into it, but I like walked in because I was waiting for all of my friends that weekend, and because we were there for the Miranda Lambert concert. And I walk in, and it was just like me and a bunch of people, and everybody was smoking at the bar. And I was like, well, I guess I gotta. I mean, I don't <laughs> have a choice. I didn't even like. I wasn't smoking at the time, but I was like, can I borrow anyone? Can I just get a cigarette? Um, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, but I also got like four drinks there and it cost me $10. So I don't know. That was like oh, a really nice. wild. It, they were like liquor drinks too. But anyway, um, that's a whole other story. So that's not relevant. That's not relevant at all. <laughs> but I saw Never Look Away in Cobble Hill Cinemas, which was really, really cute. And um, I made friends with an old lady because I held the door for her. And she was like, I'm Mallory. Thank you. And I was like, Mallory, shout out. Um, if you <laughs> happen to listen to the pod at any time, you're welcome. You're a guest. Mallory, you're come on the pod. Come on the pod, Mallory. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so she told me to get popcorn now, but not to get a drink because I would have to pee. And I was like, thank you. I know it's a long movie. It's good thinking. Um, <laughs> so uh, then I also saw At Eternity's Gate and I watched that last night uh, at home. I rented it on Amazon Video. Oh, shout out to Amazon Video. Yeah. Uh, uh, this week I also video. watched The Mummy remake starring Tom Cruise. <laughs> Great. So in the hierarchy of like quality of things that I watched, The Mummy was the top. I would say. Oh yes, <laughs> clearly the best. <laughs> I mean, I I also saw like so. This was a very active movie weekend for me. I saw um, Happy Death Day to You on. Oh Friday my God! Night. What? Yes, you didn't tell me yeah. that. I saw that Friday night. Then I saw um, Alita: Battle Angel in 40x on Sunday. Um, wait, no, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on Sunday, and then that same night at like. 10 30 i saw um the prodigy oh wow you were really so, active i was trying to knock out all the like all the standard hollywood fair this weekend as well because i'm really a long weekend i was like i just gotta take care of all this stuff right now and it was fun um some of them were better than others but 
Um, <laughs> maybe we can get into that on a later episode. Right now, we're going to focus on those Oscars movies. Um, well, uh, why don't we just go over the shorts, first of all, because that seems to be the biggest common factor between our weeks. Um, and yeah, absolutely. The live action ones, we've definitely talked about a bit how um, depressing they are. Like, seriously, by the end, like, when the fifth short came up and like they just showed the thumbnail and the name, people were already like groaning. They're like, we just know this is going to be a downer. And they were right. I mean, they it was right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they knew what to expect at that point and they were right. I'm trying um, to remember, um, all these, all these short, the last one was really skin, heavy. right? And, yeah. Skin. Okay. So um, the last one was skin and yeah. Okay. So why don't we, let's just start at the beginning. Uh, mother, is a a spanish language short film um and it's about a, a mother who gets a call from her son he's on a beach somewhere that his dad took him and the dad went off somewhere and now he's alone and he doesn't know if the dad's coming back or anything and he's scared and like the whole film plays out over the phone and it's just things increasingly getting worse in this situation basically yeah so mother is intense first of all <laughs> it was just like a very <laughs> and it like started off very like typical like it was not intense at all and it went from like zero to 60 very quickly and yeah. by the time it, it it was ending i was like jesus christ um <laughs> it's really upsetting honestly um I think one of the most impressive things about it is that really intense long take that is like the opening scene. Like it's just like, it doesn't stop <laughs> like the long shot of the beach. You mean? No, no, no. Sorry. After oh, the, after, after the beach, right after when that. they're just in the apartment and it's, it's um, mother, the, the younger mother and then her mother and, mm -hmm. and they're talking, but it's, it's one take for a long time where it's just the camera just is like swiveling back and forth, but it's never like actually cutting, um, which is really impressive. I thought, um, yeah. And, I mean, it that does end eventually, um, but I think it ends, you know, at, it's thematic when it ends too. So, um, but yeah, but the whole movie, I mean, that was really bleak. Um. <laughs> yeah, it, it was dark. I mean, it 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 gets way worse than just a kid being lost. Um, yeah, I mean, that was like, I don't know that I wanted this. I don't know that I needed to see this. Um, no. I was kind of surprised. I mean that it was nominated for the Oscar just because it is sort of like a, I mean, I don't want to say that it's like taboo and that we can't talk about what happens at the end, presumably. Um, but it's like, I don't, I feel like it's like not totally what the Oscars would deem tasteful most, most of the time. <laughs> and it's almost a horror movie. So like, anyway, yeah. Oh <laughs> God. Oh yeah. So that was a fun way to start off the shortest program. That was, um, because, yeah, like we both see these things with shorts.tv. They have the same standard program across the country. If you're watching these at home or whatever, you might have watched them in a different order. But it is a very different experience to watch these by themselves and to watch like five one after the other in a theater yeah. with yeah, a bunch of other people experienced at the same time. You could like in the, the audience I was in, it was a pretty crowded theater and you could feel like the discomfort palpably growing through each short. And like by the end, people are just like, Oh my God. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Um, so the next short after that was um, Fove, I think is pronounced. But we Fove. Was it Fove next? Fove was next. Fove. Yes. Yeah. That was the next yeah. one. Uh, okay. And this this is when things like really started to take a bad turn for me personally. Um, that it, was it. It wasn't the ending of Mother. <laughs> I mean, that was already bad, but this like this coming right after that was pretty bad. So this starts out like fairly innocuous and kind of fun. It's these two little kids. Uh, like playing around at an abandoned train yard. They're running around. They're throwing rocks at each other. It's just like typical silly kid stuff, having a fun time. And at first I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. This looks nice. Like this, this sort of feels familiar from my childhood. Maybe not throwing rocks at each other, but definitely like just like messing around. Uh, being bored. Yeah, being bored, doing nothing. Uh, and it gets... It gets pretty rough at some point when one of the kids gets stuck in a quicksand pit. Jesus Christ. I mean, it's like, first of all, it's every kid's worst nightmare. Like we're all, we're all like, we all believe growing up that quicksand is going to be a huge danger in our lives. And it never is for most of us. Apparently here it actually exists. And well, yeah. And places like that, it will actually. Um, So yeah, it's like, (laughs) It is really rough. And it's like, what struck me was that by the second movie, there's a theme developing, I think, between between these two and then the last two. I think the middle one is sort of like a thematic outlier, just yeah. about like what it means to be a childhood in the contemporary era and like sort of being, sort of feeling like you're alone as a young kid when you shouldn't necessarily feel like you're alone. Like all of these kids, if like the hallmark is like they're alone in some way or another. Like... And it's like really upsetting. Like, <laughs> like you wonder the whole time during Fove, it's like, where are their parents? Like yeah. they're letting them wander through like this, like what appears to be a nuclear wasteland. Like <laughs> it looks like an it's, abandoned construction site. It or is. Something. It's, like oh, an, yeah. it's like some sort of construction site where they still work. Like there are people there, but it's like not safe for human inhabitation. Yeah. And there's like no responsible adults anywhere like within reach. No, because like the kid goes and tries to get help and just nobody's around. Even like the truck that they saw going by earlier, there's nobody in it. And then like he just sort of wanders off. And this is what this is what like really disturbed me about it is that like then the kid just sort of wanders off and eventually gets picked up by a lady in a car and like she drives him home. And that's like it. It's just such a nihilistic ending to that whole thing it's it was like, nihilist oh, so i also wondered a film is just to like watch this kid die and the other kid have to like live with that suffer yeah and it's all because they were like trying to one up one another like joking yeah um, because they were bored around. and they didn't have anything else to do i also wondered about the movie because like when she asks like where are your parents whatever whatever he like can't answer it was unclear if he really had somewhere to go i guess um yeah I was like, I don't really know if he knows what's happening. <laughs> like, so well, yeah, I mean, it was like, cause he, he'd been talking to the other kid. He said like his dad takes him fishing and stuff. And it was like, no, he doesn't like, uh, no, oh, he takes him hunting supposedly. Um, but yeah, like maybe there is something messed up about his home life. He's like, he doesn't really want to go home. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, that was a rough one. That was rough. Um, <laughs> <sighs> uh, the next and one was were... sort of a reprieve. I mean, it was. It was the close. Okay, so Marguerite is the next one. Yeah, and Marguerite is the closest thing to hope we get in these things. Like, right. <laughs> in my opinion, um, Marguerite. It's is... not the happiest movie, but it's the closest thing we can get in the. Live but it's action. like it's almost kind of sad and like 
a really like remarkably beautiful way. Uh, Marguerite yeah. was po- possibly my favorite. I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think it might've been. Um, I just thought it was like very, I thought it was beautifully shot most of the time. Like, and like very, right. yeah. not necessarily like in a way that like was flashy about itself. Like it was just like, there were moments where I was like, this is really beautiful to look at. Like, <laughs> and it's not calling attention to itself. It just is. Um, I thought the lead actress was phenomenal. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the woman who played Marguerite and, um, yeah, so basically Marguerite is the story of an elderly woman and she is clearly dealing with terminal illness. Um yeah, she is she's and, mostly incapacitated. Like yes. she can't really take care of herself. And she has a hospice worker um who comes and takes or a nurse who comes around, doesn't live with her, just is there often. Um and it's basically about their friendship. I don't really want to give away <laughs> um what it comes to be really about, but yeah, I, I guess it, it it does have a slight twist to the ending, but like I it's, wouldn't call it a twist because you know it's coming by about halfway through, but it's like it's still powerful when you, yeah. when, you when it is comes out for real, and I don't want to diminish that impact. So, yeah, but basically, you you get you get the sense of like a bond between the two of them, and yeah. um, how like the older Marguerite has like some regrets about her life that she feels embodied by the younger woman who's able to like still live her life and uh, live, live without these regrets that she's had basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. It hits hard. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, uh... it's heavy emotionally, but it's like, it actually has a positive feeling to it because you get to see this relationship between the two of them. And it's so strong and positive. Yeah. I um, think, um, I think that what Marguerite does is find that even though for one of these characters sort of like life did go by and there will be regrets that they will never get to recover from, you know, like those regrets will always be there no matter what. Um, But there is still hope in the fact that there's friendship and that progress, things have changed and this other character does not have to live with those regrets. And um, just friendship, really. I mean, (laughs) like, I think it was just like, you know, things suck and that's always going to be life. But at least we have friends and people to take care of us. Um, right. Yeah. And, and so. they, she did a good job of taking care of her and like, they had a very close bond from that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought that was, <laughs> that was a nice heartwarming reprieve from uh, some of the other stuff that was going on. Um, so next from there, we swung at a hard <laughs> right turn into Jesus. what I think is probably the, the most brutal of the sh- uh, live action shorts. Um, is, that's like an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> Detainment, uh, which it, we spoke about earlier, has had some controversy in its nomination. Um, basically, it's based on a real life murder of a child. Uh, I think it was like an eight year old boy. Five, no, younger. No, like the boy was two. The, two. the boy oh who was God. murdered was two years old. Very young. Yeah. Jane. Um, James Bulger, I think, yes. murdered by two other older children uh, in a pretty brutal fashion. And like this film is based on that real life murder and uh, mostly takes the form of these interviews that they did with the boys afterwards, trying to get them to confess to this murder. Uh, and it's, oh my God, it's brutal. It's, it's really rough. 
it's hard to watch it's um <laughs> i I'm really, really torn on this movie. I think um, it's really worth mentioning that the mother of James Bolger is not happy with this movie. Right. Um, she yeah. didn't want it to come out. She. I understand why I would not want to relive this every day. I think the real problem is that Vincent Lamb, the director, apparently didn't talk to anyone involved about the fact yeah. that he was going to make this movie. Um, he did. It seems that he I mean, he did his research. You know, if you read interviews with like the the authorities involved on the case and stuff. They were like, no, this is accurate. This is, this is true, but it's, so that's good for him. But you, I mean, to not warn the family that this movie, like, I mean, seriously, it's pretty brutal. And that's gotta be very traumatizing for them. Just because they probably don't want to think about it. And then this movie comes out and it's getting Oscar nominations and everybody's talking about it. I mean, that's hard, but at the same time it is, I do think it's well-made. Um, it's a great it's great movie and um the especially the acting by the uh two young boys who are playing the real life murderers uh it's incredible like they you can see especially um the boy who plays the younger one like he he gets very anguished in these interviews um and like not wanting to tell them and not wanting to come off at like feeling guilty about it and everything you can see, like all the, all the pain and frustration eyes. And he, he reacts like how you'd think that a, a boy put into those situations would be just like a young kid who can't control his emotions and just like flies off the handle during these interviews. Um, well, anybody, I mean, of course he flies off the handle. He's unhinged. The kid is not, I mean, no yeah. offense, but like the kid is not right. Like, right. But so. I mean, like in in a way that a kid does, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's still like moments where it's just like it. He's like crying and like it feels like a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what makes it hard is that it there are moments where it does still just feel like a kid, um, and like like a kid that you might you know re- who's reacting the way any kid would. Um, but of course, at the same time, you have to keep living with the fact that these kids are like, I mean, they did something evil. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. It's like, it's like, it's like what any, would possess. It's like any kid when he knows that he's done something wrong. Except in this case, it's like way worse than like breaking a window or something. Right. I <laughs> guess my, I guess the big thing is that I don't know that the movie really like. I don't know what it really says in the end. I think its main point is just like raising the idea that there is like a tension between what we think of as kids and what kids some kids are still apparently capable of and yeah, you know right you know um i think that i mean i i don't know that there's no value in that but i don't know how much their value is there <laughs> is there in it i'm like it's still like i don't know like we all kind of know like <laughs> we we were all kids once kids were mean but like right. um, I mean, it but, plays out as a powerful drama but it does i mean i, I definitely don't want to say that it's bad filmmaking i just i guess there's a lot it's hard to divorce from like what I've read now about how the mother feels, I think for me, yeah. it's like I just, you know, I wish he'd done something better with approaching the situation. Yeah. No, Cause I, I do think, I think stories should be told. And I think true stories that are, I mean, this is a memorable, true story. Um, <laughs> they, you know, th- those are going to get told again and that's just how film works. But you know, maybe a, there's, a, there's our approaches that work better than others. Warning people is a good one, a good yeah. start. Um, yeah. Like the bare minimum. Yeah. So, 
but at the same time yeah i agree that it is well made i do think the child actors are really good um it's like disturbing i think there were moments where i like didn't even want to like i was like covering my eyes even though there's no violence that you see you don't see any of it um, yeah, yeah i was true. just like i was like cringing physically i was like i don't want to think about this i don't want to think about i don't know they started talking about batteries at one point and i was like i don't know what happened but i want that out of my ears stop yeah. talking about batteries yeah. like i don't understand and i don't want to um <laughs> like so just you know if anybody's thinking about watching the oscar shorts just know that detainment is really brutal and <laughs> yeah that's a rough one yeah um so then our final um our final short for the live action ones uh was skin which is the only American nominee this year. Um, and this uh, centers around a young boy, like many of these other ones, uh, who's being raised by a family of skinheads, basically, like uh, white supremacists. And um, yeah, like, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. Um, it um there's a like a brutal beating of a black man in this movie um uh, which is definitely the hardest part to watch that um occurs after um uh, he's like he's waving at um the boy in a supermarket and they're like you know playing around with an action figure uh and yeah oh god <laughs> Uh, uh yeah the, it's rough <laughs> the ending of this movie is pretty crazy as well um we can't i, I don't want to get into that too much no i don't i don't want to get that away either yeah um, um it's worth mentioning that this movie has like the most well-known cast i mean it has like some legitimate stars in it like <laughs> like yeah. jonathan tucker and danielle mcdonald are in this movie um, yeah right also um, the little boy uh, from it <laughs> so that's the boy from it <laughs> it's uh it's little georgie dimbrow oh that's um, georgie oh man yeah Gets his arm ripped off. Um, not well, in the this, movie. Not in skin. Not his in arm is movie. intact in skin. Um, he suffers another bad fate here, though. Um, yeah. He has a bad time, I'll tell you that. Um, no, he, he's not well off in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but this movie, uh, they, they've already made a feature-length version of this as well that's already airing. I honestly in, think uh, that festivals. I haven't seen it, um, but I think that might be necessary. I will say I don't think skin worked that well. I think that it was like the, the lack of fleshing out, like, you know, it yeah. really works hard to flesh out these like <laughs> redneck skinheads. We all have to watch. And then like the black people they beat and everything like I, who are they like, and yeah, who's like this no little kid that we them. see? Yeah. So I, that I felt like that was like, you can very much, you just feel that a white filmmaker made it because he didn't flesh out those other characters. Like it's like he wanted to tell this one story and that's, you know, those are characters that are that, I mean, I don't, it's hard to imagine anybody can watch that movie who grew up in certain parts of America and not recognize instantly every single one of those white characters. Um, yeah. Like I, I gotta say, um, but like, yeah, you can just feel, um, and I think it needed more time to flesh things out because I don't think it necessarily worked as a short film. I yeah. Think it, I, I had the feeling that it, could have benefited from like a full length runtime. And so when I found out that they had a full length version, I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Like this is yeah, just sort of like a trailer trailer version of the full length thing. And the real, uh, the full, I mean the feature length version is going to have uh Jamie bell in it and yeah, uh, yeah. a couple other well-known people. So um, and that's good. I, I hope it's good. I do. Um, yeah. Cause I think this one was flawed and I think, um, you know, there are some, whatever, it's not like 
it's like take on race. I don't know what I don't really understand it necessarily, but I think it, there's potential there. So I'd love to see a, a full length one and see what they can actually do with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, this one, I actually I liked a decent amount despite its brutality. Um, I thought among some of the other more brutal ones, it at least had something a little more interesting to say. But I like like you, I felt it didn't you know, just have enough time to elaborate and hopefully right. the feature yeah. length will do better there. Yeah. I also so, just really, I always really, I liked, I had a crush on Jonathan Tucker growing up ever since the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I was like, okay, <laughs> Jonathan Tucker's in it. Cool. Um, <laughs> the remake, obviously he wasn't in the oh, original. Of course the remake. Yes. The remake we all know and love. Hey, the Texas Chainsaw remake is good. Yeah, I, I mean, as far as as far as horror remakes go, that's a that's an all right one. That's like but, that. We need to do a side by. We need to do an episode. That's the that, whole thing. That'll be one of our our remake original comparisons. Yeah, because I genuinely really like that movie. So we'll I'll have a whole conversation. Okay, so out of these five, um, well, we can start our picks right now. What do you think is most likely to win, and what do you think would be your personal pick? <sighs> It's really hard. I think that the Academy could really go for skin. Um, I yeah. think it tackles an issue that's been really particularly prevalent in media and everything for the past year. I think it's something that the Academy itself, like tackling race is something the Academy itself has been grappling with for a while now. Um, right. And it hasn't always, they haven't always come out on the best end of that wrestle wrestling match with race issues um but i think they're trying and i think that for that reason skin is possibly a favorite here um even though i don't think it's like a perfect take on race issues um i think that they will see a lot of value in just a movie that's trying you know Um, right yeah my personal favorite was marguerite i really liked it i like movies that can find hope in some bleakness um i think that's like the purpose of most art most of the time. So it's like nice to see that happen. And I just thought it was really well acted and filmed. Um, so I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I think my picks would be exactly the same. I think skin is a little more likely to win because it's got a relevant issue behind it. Um, and Marguerite was my personal favorite just because it brought a little hope into, uh, what was otherwise kind of a bleak set of films. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you on that one. Well, there All we right. go. No fighting. Can you believe? Yeah. Um, no fighting yet. <laughs> we'll see. We'll as, see. As, as Shakira said one time, no fighting, no fighting. <laughs> All right. So those are the live action shorts. Um, yeah. Why don't, why don't we do the animated ones next? All right. So for me, I saw both of these blocks back to back. I saw the live action one at around um i think like 215 and then no wait it was 245 and then the animated ones at five o'clock so it was just like a whole afternoon of shorts uh all at the same theater it was pretty fun uh there were definitely a lot of other people there doing the same thing too um all at the e street theater in dc great place to see the shorts it's always where i end up seeing at least the animated shorts every year. So that was a lot of fun. But, That's awesome. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw the animated shorts at the Nighthawk in Williamsburg. Ooh, that so, was fun. <laughs> it was really fun. It was great. I got some tater tots, got my animated shorts on. Um, yeah, it was great. I really, really liked it. All right. So, uh, kick are it, we going uh, one by one again? Is yeah, let's just doing? go. Okay. Let's just go down the line here. Um, these ones were considerably more lighthearted, although you know the animated ones still can pack a punch here and there. Um, yeah, some of these were were sad. <laughs> yeah. So the first one was Bao, which is probably the one that most people would be familiar with. This uh, aired before The Incredibles 2 in theaters, as is Pixar's tradition. Uh, yes. It's one of their shorts. This is the story of a, um, a mother who's making a little Bao roll. And the roll turns into a living creature and it's like her son and it, you get to see the little role grow up over time. And um, there's, there's a little bit of a twist ending to that one sort of, which we don't want to go into, but uh, it's very heartwarming in a way. And also kind of sad. It's, it's a classic Pixar formula, the right it mix is. of like sad and uh, heartwarming. It, it it's very well calculated to make you cry. So yeah, that absolutely. might happen if you see this. Um, it's cute though, and it's the animation is great in this. It uh, is, and it also stylized. I mean, it will make you want to eat some fucking bow like nothing else, man. <laughs> like yeah. I was watching this, and I was like, dear God, I'm hungry. Like, um, <laughs> so um, maybe it's just me. Bow is like one of my favorite things in the world. Like mm, that bun. Anyway, um, but it's yeah, it's real. I mean, I actually really like bow. I think it's really good, and I was really happy to have the chance to see it again. Um, yeah, same. It's very sweet. I think it's earnest. I think. Um, yeah, it's Pixar, so it's like super calculated or whatever. But it's like it's fine. They ha- they know how to calculate, so I, it I'm, still feels personal too. Like it I, does. It feels I, very. I believe that somebody came up with this idea and that it was like very close to their heart, and that they made it for that reason. Yeah, I mean, it's it's directed by a Chinese Canadian woman, just like the movie's about. Like, why not? So yeah, um, yeah, I think that's great. So um, yeah, I thought it was. I really like Bao. I, I think it's really, really good. And most people listening probably have seen it, but it's worth seeing again. So <laughs> I really enjoy it. Yeah. So that was that was a good way to start this. I feel like most of the time, so there's usually a Pixar short nominated, but I feel like that's always the one to lead off the program, which is kind of odd. It's uh, mainly, I think, because they recognize most people have already seen it. I really, yeah. I mean, because most people see the Pixar movies that they air in front of or the Disney movie, depending on the year. Um, so it makes sense. Yeah. And honestly, I think I think it's great that Pixar does that. I wish more like major studios would do that, like tie a short to their film because they're like the only ones keeping shorts alive at this point. Unlike a well, big say what you will about shows. about like Disney and then by extension Pixar, but they're, I mean, they're great animators. Like there oh, is absolutely. like some great innovation happening in their animation and it's, it's gorgeous to look at. And they, they, I think the people who work there actually care about the art. So I think no, that's why they do it. Um, other studios aren't as invested. Sometimes I think there's more of a, there are other intentions there. Although Disney has those too. There's no way you can say Disney doesn't care about the bottom line, but um <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, I am glad to see one of the big players out there keeping 
shorts alive because it used to be whenever you went to the movies you'd see a few shorts before the main feature came on i mean that was decades ago but i'd like it if that kind of practice came back and i love animated shorts in particular um i think it just works really well i think the medium is particularly suited to having like telling these short vignette style stories um so i i really appreciate animated shorts so i wish more more studios did that yeah, you can take a much more aggressive visual style if you're just telling something in five minutes versus right. having to animate a whole movie. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, so the, our our next short that played was uh, Late Afternoon, which... Oh, is, yeah. Yeah, this was my personal favorite. It was excellent. Five. Yeah, it's my yeah. favorite, too. We're, wow, it's... no arguments so far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Quite rare. Um, this, this was just very beautiful. It was this, basically the story of an old woman, um, who clearly has some sort of like Alzheimer's or dementia type memory deficit, um, where she keeps slipping back into her past. Um, and so you, and the way it's done is really incredible. You'll see her like sitting at home in her chair and, someone is taking care of her and like getting her tea and stuff, but she'll slip back into these moments from like her childhood or as a young woman and like various moments in her life. And the, the way the animation transitions between these scenes is really beautiful. And they have these scenes where like waves will wash over her and like carry her through to these different places in her life. And just, I, I just thought it was such an incredible way to tell this story and such a great way to visualize like the way memory works, especially when your memory is kind of faulty and you're getting like drawn backwards in time. Uh, right. I thought it was really cool, basically. So and very emotional as well. It's extremely emotional. I think it's beautifully animated. I think it's really, really cool the way it's done. It reminded me like immediately of two different things. Um, one, if you watch Castle Rock, there's an episode of Castle Rock that is structured so similarly. Ooh. It's like, like it's one of the most acclaimed episodes of Castle Rock. Um, if you have nice. not watched Castle Rock, any horror fans out there, any Stephen King fans, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like, watch that show. It's a slow like, burn, but Jesus. Like, I'm like three episodes in, so I just got to push ahead. Like You do. There's a, there's an episode. Come, it's, it's a few episodes down the line for you. But um, there's an episode that's very similar to Late Afternoon. And the way it's done is like, it like it's it'll hit you um and so it's like this basically it's like it's so i mean i'm sure you can imagine which character um (laughs) and you know you're slipping back and forth through through their mind um because they struggle with time issues like this so um i thought of that immediately and i thought of marai actually marae um and the way the the way marae plays with time and the way it transitions yeah, yeah. I mean, Mirai also um, jumps around in time a lot, and uh, we'll try to get to that at some point in this episode as well. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a very interesting way of dealing with like time and memory, and uh, it was just so perfectly suited to the animated medium because of that. Like, I, I felt like this story could only really be told this well through animation, and when like i feel like that's the perfect animated film right there when it utilizes fully the abilities you have when you're making an animated film yeah i think 
Yeah, I think this was the perfect use of animation. I absolutely agree. I don't think this short would have worked as a live action or anything like that. Right. Just not a chance. Um, it was also just like, the uh, I don't want to call it simple, but like just like the drawing was, I mean, it was sort of like simple, but really, really evocative. And it worked so well. Just like, it was really, really pretty. I really liked this one. So Yeah. It also like so. made me cry. So. <laughs> yes, yes. So this was this was the one to actually elicit tears for me because I had I had seen Bao before and was immune to its charms. Uh <laughs> but this one I was not prepared for. So yes. I don't think is. anyone's ever ready to not cry for this kind of story either. It doesn't matter how many times we see a movie or show about, you know, Alzheimer's or anything. It's still gonna hit. Like <laughs> Yeah. It's it's heavy stuff, but uh yes, very emotional. So yeah, uh then our next short after that was a bit of a reprieve from the heavier emotional material. Uh, this was Animal Behavior, which was a pretty cute short, uh, pretty lighthearted. Uh, it's, it was basically the story of a bunch of different animals in a group therapy session. And they all have issues that are you know, similar to the, the basic problems that humans have except they were suited to whatever kind of animal they were so like the gorilla has anger issues um and the the cat has like obsessive compulsive cleanliness issues and the the praying mantis and the leech have like intimacy and relationship issues so um and it's just sort of like played out between all those and it was for all for comedic effect but it was fun and it was silly. Um, I'm glad Liam, you felt that way. <laughs> you didn't like it? <laughs> I just found it so irritating. I was like annoyed the whole time. <laughs> like, like the voice cast, everything about it. I was like, this is so annoying. Like, I don't know. I don't know. There was just something about it. I think it was the obvious, like, I thought it was funny at first how like obvious, like the, the reasons these animals were in like group therapy for were. But then, like, quickly the jokes, like, got old to me. I was like, okay, I know yeah. what's coming for each of these. I, it's not funny anymore. I'm ready to move on from this. And, like, so I guess I just, like, got annoyed pretty quickly. I was not into it. Um, I don't really understand why it got nominated. I don't think the animation was particularly enthralling. Yeah. I don't I mean, think it did I, anything clever. Um, I definitely feel like it's probably one of the weaker ones in the category. Yeah, but. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to imply that it's, like, totally a bust. It's just, like... I don't understand why. I mean, I know I don't see a ton of shorts in the world, but I know there are better ones than this that came out. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, there's always um, like a couple of odd standouts in the animated category, I feel. And it's hard to tell what criteria they use to select some of true. these. I was about to say there were no odd ones last year, but then I was like, oh, there's one that was a really odd one last year and it won. So, um, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <mind. laughs> um, oh. So. The one we dare not speak its name. Drink um, if you're upset. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so so yeah. I mean, personally, I just thought it was a, a nice, light-hearted reprieve among a bunch of other heavier films. But anyway, I do appreciate that. I do think it was it was like a reprieve after the emotion of late afternoon. I did yeah. I did like that because there was there's like no seriousness here. There's nothing serious about this one. I think that's also what bothered me, though, because we're also dealing with, like, a, you know, a setting that is, like, therapy and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, well, some some seriousness would be nice. 
It'd be nice if the last two, like there were two shorts two years in a row, not both animated, one live action, one animated that dealt with therapy that were both like not taking it seriously. So <laughs> it would have been nice to have one that took it seriously. Oh God. I was so <laughs> thankful for the, like the one you're talking about last year with the live action shorts was literally yeah, the <laughs> only, the only live action short that wasn't horribly depressing. Um, yes. Yeah, I know. We, yeah. We did not get one of those this year. So, uh, I would have gladly welcomed another uh, another <laughs> short in that mold, so to speak. Yes, no, I know. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on from animal behavior. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the next one is uh, weekends, which I actually I'm I'm torn between this and late afternoon as to which is my favorite. Um, weekends was really good. It was late afternoon time. impressed me more at the outset, and weekends I feel like is the one that's really stuck with me through then. And there's a number of reasons for that. Um, the, well, I'll I'll sum up first. Basically, it's the story of this uh, this little boy um, whose parents are divorced, and it's about him traveling between their two places on the weekends. Like he yep. stays with his dad on the weekends. His dad comes and picks him up, drives him to his apartment in downtown Toronto and then drives him back out to the suburbs where his mom lives at the end of the weekend. And it's just about all these encounters um, over time. And you see both of the parents go through different relationships in this time. You see the boy like trying to um, adapt to this situation. And you see um, the most interesting sequences, which are he, he has a bunch of dream sequences that show up where... Um, just different elements from the two houses that he's exposed to get sort of meld melded together. And um, you sort of get a glimpse of what his psyche is going through at this time. Um, right. And I, I thought the animation in this was really cool. It had a very nice hand-drawn style to it. Um, the, the soundtrack was great. They am very memorable to me. They used uh, a Sati piece that's very um, recognizable and very familiar that his mother was playing on the piano. They also used a kind of a hokey 80s rock song by Dire Straits that was what his <laughs> dad was like listening to in the car on the drive over to his place. But it just Don't you dare felt... bash Dire Straits. <laughs> I love Dire Straits. I'm not bashing him here. I'm just saying <laughs> it was it was very it was very like rooted in the 80s. But it, it like sort of gave the whole piece like a, a place in time, and uh, it felt like a very personal choice. Like that the guy who came up with this had heard this song a bunch of times when he was a kid. Um, yeah, just like the whole thing felt extremely personal and like a, a real distillation of this director's childhood experience. And I, I've looked this up afterwards and it basically is based pretty heavily on his experience growing up uh, in a divorced family in, in Toronto in the eighties. Um, <laughs> well, so, yeah. okay. That's good. You mentioned that I was going to say like, yeah, I loved, I loved this one a lot as well. I think um, after I watched it, I would have been shocked to find out that he hadn't been a, child and with divorced parents i mean yeah. <laughs> i just like it, it's just so like nail on the head like you know um it's yeah it's really really good i really like this one as well i think late afternoon definitely edges it out for me but um 
this one, I mean, if this won, for example, I would not be mad in the slightest. It yeah. really would be deserving. It was really good. And um, going back to the Pixar thing, uh, it turns out that the guy who um, like directed this and created this uh, works at Pixar is a story artist. Uh, and they have this program there where like if you work at Pixar, they'll help you develop your short and like uh, other animators who work there will donate their time to work on it, to do like the animation, the coloring, whatever you need to work on there. And oh. um, yeah, so it, it, I think it's really interesting. They have this program and it's apparently generated a number of nominees in the past as well. Um, so yeah, good on Pixar for doing that, trying to push forward independent animated films like this. I think it's pretty cool. That is really cool. I really like that. Yeah. Uh, it's a great, great little film. Very heartwarming and touching. Absolutely. So um, then the last nominee for the animated shorts, um, and actually there were a couple others that were part of the program that showed um, that were not nominated because they usually stretch out the program for the animated shorts because it doesn't fill like a full block of time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple others that weren't nominated that showed in this block. But the last one that was actually nominated was One Small Step. Um, this is a story of a little girl um, growing up wanting to be an astronaut. Um, and her dad kind of helps her along the way, building her an astronaut costume when she's small and like taking care of her and encouraging her when she's older and going to school, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, that's really pretty much a summary. I think, um, I don't have a ton to say about one small step. I do think the animation was pretty, pretty gorgeous. I do think it was really nice to look at. Um, yeah, it was pretty. I have nothing negative I can say about this movie necessarily. I just think it didn't as compared to something like weekends or late afternoon. It's, it's hard to beat either of those, which really felt like unique and singular. And so like uh, one vision, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like it just felt a little bland and emotionally simple compared to some of the other uh, more complicated films in this category. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. And it, it also, I mean, it felt like, yeah, I, I, I guess I agree. Just like the bland, the, not bland, bland is a strong word, but it did feel like, like it wasn't, it didn't feel quite as like personally unique as some of these other stories to me. Right. So, um, which is like, you know, I love when you can tell that through animation, you know, um, which is what makes something like weekends or late afternoon or even bow. So remarkable is that it's like, you can feel that the person who created this story and, you know, worked on this and directed it this is really personal to them. And that's really awesome that you can feel that through something like animation. That's so like, I don't want to say artificial, but it's so far removed from like the natural, you know, it's not, it doesn't look like human necessarily, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess I just didn't feel that with one small step the same way, even though it looked beautiful, it looked really beautiful and it is really touching. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a heartwarming story about, um, what, like family can do for you and 
how your parents can take care of you and push you onward to great things. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it, it fell a little flat for me. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Ultimately. It, it was nice though. I mean, it, it, was. it certainly wasn't awful. Yeah. So what's your, okay. Prediction, but personal choice. What, what, what are you going with? What do you think is actually going to win? Uh, oof. So I would, I would say for the, uh, the Academy's pick here, I, I say it's probably going to be bow just cause the, like the Pixar, um, I feel like they like Pixar, Pixar thing is pretty, yeah. they, they pretty strongly biased in that direction and it's not a bad winner. I'd say like, you know, it, it deserves a win. It, yeah, Maybe sure. Not it's, over it's, some I, of the other I'm not going to be angry about it necessarily, but I, but yeah, I do think Bao is probably the top choice. Um, but I would love to see Late Afternoon win personally. Yeah, I, I would like that as well. And and there's also a little hope in there for weekends as well on my side. I will say uh, I don't think the shorts category is ever like a deadlock, no matter what. I think. The live action shorts category is the closest we come to it this year. Um, I do think skin has a pretty heavy yeah, <laughs> lock on it. True. Not between like being between tackling an issue that's so prevalent, like and discussed right now, and having a cast that the academy is going to recognize instantly. Like skin pretty much has it. But yeah, and the um, fact that they've already produced a feature length version means they clearly have some money behind them already, right? Uh, which is probably more than you can say for most of the other nominees. Yes. But yeah, I, I think the animated category, there's a couple of different winners that we might see there. Hard to really tell what might happen. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, so do you want to try to go over the docs next? Yeah, if you're, the, if you're in, we can. <laughs> I saw, I saw them a day later. Um, actually, oof. I saw those up. right before the animated. Literally right before I left syndicated and took a, a taxi to the Nighthawk to see the animated. Because the L train wasn't running. What's up, MTA? Um, Damn it, MTA. Hey, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> You're right. Damn it, MTA. <laughs> All right. So um documentary shorts let's try to run through these pretty quick um first of all the documentary shorts program is always i'd say the heaviest of the shorts programs um, i don't think that was true this year yeah the it, live action <laughs> the was, live action was worse i'm sorry just like the children aspect of the live action everything yeah. had to do with children and that was harsh that was last, so tough. <laughs> yeah. Last year, the last year, the documentaries were heavier. And also last year, they were long enough that they got divided into two programs. So you had to come back for like multiple two plus hour programs of these doc shorts. That yeah, were all really heavy. And Only like, one of them was really long this time. Only one yeah. of them. And yeah. it's worth I mean, it's worth mentioning that some places still broke them up into two. I know there are theaters here in New York that did. Um, right. But I don't understand how, because it seemed to me that one of them would have been like less than an hour unless they filled it with some time. Like they do with the, the animated. They might've added some extras because I feel like last year, even though they had 
uh longer shorts they still ended up adding like one or two extras when they to like one of the programs. programs yeah 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 um but this year at least i was able to see it and i think you were able to see as well all in one program that was about I two was. and a half hours long which was uh, a bit of a long watch but not too bad altogether it's not bad when it switches gears so much during it um like two and a half hours of one thing feels really really long but two and a half hours of five things is a little less long yeah no, it, <laughs> i mean that that's kind of the fun of seeing a shorts program is that uh if you don't like what you're seeing or if you're starting to get bored you know it's going to change soon and there's going to be something completely different playing right and i guess the problem with it is that like you get instances like it is with us with the live action where it's like unequivocally we're both like marguerite is the best one there I wonder if we would have thought that if we'd seen them spread out and not needed Marguerite as the only voice of hope in the entire two hours that we were sitting there. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, not. I don't know. So uh, um, I think I still would have liked it the best, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like it does. It definitely shapes how you view each of them when you watch them as a program. Um, right. So because I know I can say that about this, this set, the documentaries um, easily. Uh-huh. So. Well, I'll be interested to hear what your um your favorite at the end of this is but yeah. um anyway let's start off with uh the first one black sheep uh this is the story of um well it's it's a like a young like 20s 30s man recounting his childhood growing up um as the son of a of nigerian immigrants in england uh they started out in London, but when he was a very young kid, they moved out to Essex and it's about his experiences there dealing with, um, very brutal racism, essentially as like the only black kid in this, um, majority white community. Um, Majority white is an understatement. Yeah. These are skinheads. These are like neo-Nazis. These are, this is very scary. Yeah. Like all the kids he, he runs into at his school and around the neighborhood are like extremely racist and whatever. And it's about his efforts to fit in there. He, um, he starts, you know, buying the same clothes that they do. He He bleaches his skin, bleaches his skin. He puts in blue contacts like uh, he goes to great lengths just to try to fit into this community. And eventually they sort of accept him and he runs around with this gang uh, of white kids. And they're like smashing stuff and assaulting people and stuff. And he like he's recounting all of his experiences about this time in his life. Uh, so can, yeah it's brutal i mean you it's can really brutal it's he has hard a lot to of regrets about that yeah time. i think um so i loved black sheep i thought it was really 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 excellent it was good it was probably i don't know if i want to say it was my favorite but it was up there um i just thought that the juxtaposition of his just like you know like reality tv style like interview room like commentary with the dramatic recreations of what happened. Yeah. It was actually really effective. I thought it was a nice fusion of style. Like it was, I mean, this almost could have been nominated for live action short, you know, like, um, this was, this was the only doc short that had like dramatic recreations in it. And I thought that those went really well. Um, I thought the actors they had in those were, uh, very good. And they were good. 
they they intersperse them just right with the interviews to make it feel real enough without becoming like a drama unto itself. Right. I think it's um a really well told. I don't even want to call it a story because it's a, like a series of moments. It's not even really like one story. It's just like this happened to me. Yeah. And it doesn't attempt to explain why he did this or like what, you know, like it's like, it's like you inherently understand why he did the things he did. Um, but he never once says, he never asks for forgiveness for the bad things he does as a, as a person trying to fit in. I mean, he does some violent things too. Um, yeah. And like, I think that's really bold of the filmmaker. I think that's really strong and courageous of him to just be like, I did these things. And I mean, you can feel that he's not proud, but you can also feel that he's like, what the fuck else was I going to do? Like, yeah, you know, um, so it's like, he was basically trying to survive in this world. Where he was, he, he was trying to survive. Helping him out. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. I mean, I just think about parents moving there um but it's like wow that's um but i guess like moving is so hard you know i know that for sure um oh yeah but it's like wow imagine like having to live there that's so it's hard to think about and it's hard to think about what he must have felt as somebody trying to fit in with this group of like neo-nazis basically who walked out of the movie green room and <laughs> like, um, like are like going Tying around. it back to other nominees. Huh? Um, oh, nominees! Uh, oh no, not Green Book, Green Room, <laughs> the oh. horror movie. Oh yes, yes, yes. With yes. Anton Yelchin uh, about yes. neo Nazis. Those uh, are actual neo Nazis. <laughs> um, Okay, I'm sorry. I just like the idea that they were, you said other nominees, and I was like, the idea that Green Room was nominated for an Oscar is both erotically exciting to me and definitely impossible. <laughs> yeah, Green it Room was been. like one of the best movies of its year. Um, that was anyway, we'll yeah, touch on um, Green Room at some point. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, they walked out of Green Room, the horror movie, <laughs> Neo Nazi, which made sense. Um, and. <laughs> And walked into this short and like, he has to like go around with him and like occasionally get involved and like this, like violence and racism that they're committing over and over. And it's like, it's really hard to watch and it's really hard to watch him talk about it. And I think it's really powerful of him to come forward and talk about it. Like to just be like, I have to put this out there. This is a story I have to tell. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I thought it was really excellent. I really liked black sheep. Um, yeah. I thought it was great. Uh, my one criticism would be it didn't seem to really know how it was going to end. Like it just sort of tapered off at the end there. And it didn't really give us as much of a message to take away. But I do I think, think that was the point. Yeah, <laughs> I do think like the overall, like you got a feeling of like what to take away for it from the course of the whole film. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And just like basically, there's like no answers to this sort of thing, right? Uh, in, in his situation, at least. Like, like, what else could he have done? You know, exactly. Like, it's it's hard to say what he could have done better. Um, but yeah. Uh, so great start there. Very good movie. Bit of a downer, certainly. <laughs> um, the next one was the one that I personally found the most depressing. Oh, uh, so let me 
digress a little bit. (laughs) Let me digress a little bit here to mention that before we started, uh, they've started doing this thing recently at all the landmark theaters around here, which I really like, which is they have someone come in and like just sort of talk to you before the movie starts. They'll generally just be like, uh, you have this much time to go to the bathroom and like we have these specials at our concession stand right now and like there's a couple random announcements like that. But I think it's really nice. It's really personal. It's the sort of thing I like to see at a movie theater in these days when we're like so disconnected from our entertainment and the people who provide it to us. Um, but what what struck me in the introduction for this one was uh, the lady said like, yeah, so this is kind of depressing the whole thing some of them especially but um i mean some of them aren't that bad (laughs) i was like oh all right great i already (laughs) i already thought this would probably be depressing but now there's someone personally telling me that this will be depressing uh so the next one pretty much exemplified that to me this was Endgame, which is a a netflix short um and it's about um basically these uh a bunch of different people dealing with terminal illness who are in hospice care end of life care um uh palliative care whatever there there's several different names given for this throughout the movie but um basically they're all like at death's door and trying to come to terms with that and it's about both them and the people who take care of them and try to make their lives better as they prepare for death, essentially. And uh, yeah, this one was really heavy. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's basically the whole thing is about coming to terms with death, which is extreme. It, like it's hard enough to have a documentary about death itself, but especially trying to come to terms with it when you know it's inevitable. It's it's a very heavy weighty subject to try to deal with especially in a in a short documentary that plays of course this is like the longest of the documentaries it was yeah it was and it it did like i was like oh god please let this be over (laughs) I, i thought it was really good i thought like you could really get a very personal sense of who these people were and what they were going through, you really saw them grapple with the concept that they would die very soon. And you saw their loved ones and them trying to come to terms with it. But like, oh my God, this was <laughs> this was a very heavy watch. And uh, the longer it went on, the more uncomfortable I got. Definitely. So, absolutely agreed. Um <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> this was a heavy one uh worth noting it's directed by rob Ibs, rob i epstein sorry i can't speak um who is known for the celluloid closet and the times of harvey milk and stuff like that um, oh okay production work on that um so like he's he's actually like a pretty well-known name um so that was kind of exciting to see i was kind of surprised i had no idea it was him um he didn't direct some of those other ones but he produced them so i don't know how much he's directed before but um the only assumption is, you know, this might have had like this might have been kind of personal for him. Um, I do think, I mean, the movie is like, <clears throat> I mean, let me be straight up. I think it has a really strong chance of winning the Oscar. Um, <laughs> but I do yeah. think it's also like, um, you know, it's like very like 
conventionally sappy. Like, like, you know, there's a lot of like convention and like tropes in this movie. And that's great. That's fine. Sometimes that's what you need for a movie like this. Um, <laughs> um, it's like really, it's hard to watch. It's really, really sad. Um, there are a lot of like really great characters you meet who you find out don't make it, which you know, you're not going to, they're not going to make it, but you really, really wish they could have. Yeah. Um, so um, that's like really, really hard. I think it, I think its biggest flaw is that it like, I mean, it very obviously spends the vast majority of its runtime with like one or two specific characters. And then at the end, it's like, oh, and this happened to these characters. And it's like, wait, who is that? I forgot. You mentioned them once before. I don't remember that yeah. plot at all. Um, it like, so it's, there's a very, very clear unevenness to the way it handles its characters. And the character that it like, I understand why it did it. It seemed like the family involved and like the character who it gives the most screen time to just lent itself to having the most screen time. Like they were there, they were always talking and they wanted to be on camera. So that's fine. Yeah, um, they were the most engaged with it. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, it is still like, if you're going to tell us at the end, what happened to these other characters? Like, I don't know, maybe you should have just made it about the characters who wanted to be on camera the whole time. Like, and not the characters who wanted to say one thing and then never be on screen again. Um, yeah, that's not really doing them a service, but um, I felt that they all had something different and interesting to say about. They did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dealing with it though, so I I didn't find that to be too big of a problem. It wasn't like an issue, but because th- they, I agree, they had different things to say. But it was like, it's hard to like when you've spent like I mean, this is a forty minute movie, and I I really feel like you spend between twenty five and thirty minutes with one character and her family. Like right. it's gotta like, be that, that, div- yeah. that extreme. Like they and could are, cut a separate documentary out of just that. Yeah. Yeah. Because they mention at least like four or five characters at the end and like how, when they actually passed and things. And it's like, well, you know, they got like maybe two minutes of screen time a piece at that, that rate. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's just like, you know, it's just, it d- did feel like they maybe could have balanced it a little bit better, but otherwise I do think it's good. I think it's like, intentionally tear jerky like it wants you to cry um that's okay you know sometimes it's like cathartic to cry like that um honestly that one made me just like kind of want to scream in existential angst but (laughs) you know to each their own good for you my whole theater was crying and it ended and i was like so this isn't about the taylor swift song featuring ed sheeran i got it (laughs) you would you would think that all right so yeah that one was pretty rough but i mean it was a good movie it was a good movie i I think it's really quality it dealt with really heavy themes and i thought it did so in a pretty mature way um obviously the people who it deals with like who are there like taking care of people in their last days are incredible and they have great things to say i uh I need to add a side note. This is not relevant. Oh, Rob Epstein, it. Rob Epstein, and Jeffrey Friedman, who directed Endgame, also directed the iconic film Lovelace, starring Amanda Seyfried and James Franco. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the filmography there. Yeah. Ah. Uh, I'll let y'all look that up on your own. <laughs> uh. So the oh, next okay. film who, that was nominated here, um lifeboat this was a, a wait was really... that next for you yeah that oh, was wait. not next for me oh wait no no no. you're right you're right okay night of the garden was next yeah uh, 
Night at the Garden was kind of a nice reprieve after Endgame. Excuse it, me? Well, <laughs> I'm hold sorry. on. Hold on. <laughs> explain. It was only seven minutes long. Okay, yeah, that's a plus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, that's like the only like quote unquote now, plus I can say about this. To movie. be fair, to be fair, that seven minutes is spent documenting a uh, a Nazi rally at Madison Square Gardens in the 30s, 1939 to be exact. Yeah, um, like right before the invasion of Poland, basically. Um, and it it's a pretty straightforward documentation of the event it's, it's just, just archival footage there's no there's no commentary on it there's nothing it's all just archival art. footage with a couple of um a couple of end cards in there just explaining the context um yeah, yeah it's so it's pretty gross yeah. it's pretty gross because it's like oh this happened in new york city in 1939 um so it's like a really good reminder first of all i do agree i do think it's like you know, it's like, oh, by the way, this happened, New York. Thank you. You think you're so progressive. Um, yeah, right under everyone knows, knows this. Um, I don't know if it's a movie. Like, I don't really know. Like, it's like, this is just archival footage. Like, I don't know what we're doing here. But yeah, it's um, so short. And, like, I feel like they didn't even really try to, you know, give that much of a directorial slant to it. Like, they were really just showing the clips that they had. And yeah. playing them. And and it was it was interesting to see just like on the face of it, because like having not seen this footage before, but having it as like build as a documentary is a little um a little bit of a stretch, I'd say. Right. So I mean, yeah, I, I don't I, I'm with you. Um my so I, I don't know like it like I really appreciate that this movie just wanted to remind everybody at this time like that this happened in the U.S. specifically in New York City at Madison Square Garden. Um, I really admired the filmmaker for that, whatever. But I don't know that it did achieved really much of anything. So yeah. um, it and, was definitely shocking that like yeah, and there's I mean there's just like no filmmaking involved is my big thing. It's like yeah, like yeah. you didn't shoot any of this, so. I don't really know if this is a movie. I don't know what's happening. Um, is this like the like the definition of found footage? Is that what this is? Um, <laughs> but this is a found footage horror movie the by worst some definitions. Um, uh, I will say that when this movie ended, <laughs> the the lights went like or the the screen went dark and it cut to the credits and it was really quiet. And the guy next to me just goes, "Man, fuck the Knicks." <laughs> <laughs> Only in New York, folks. And Only I was like, all right, go Nets. <laughs> <laughs> we are in Brooklyn. <laughs> this is the Knicks' fault. All right. Yeah. I found so, it very humorous, I, and which is what I needed right after that. I was like, man, I just watched Endgame, and now I had to see that happen um, with that dramatic score over top of it. Anyway. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah, that was pleasant and all. Um, the next one after that, uh, was what I was going to say before lifeboat. Um, this is a movie about a, um, a ship that tries to save stranded migrants in the Mediterranean sea. Um, and they like intercept all these different boats that are going over, trying to cross over from, um, very war torn and poverty torn parts of africa 
to make it over to Europe and they uh, like roll up to these ships and take them on board and try to like get them life vests and food and stuff and um, try to keep them alive. Basically Um, this one, this one's pretty rough as well. Like uh, you get a real sense of how bad this migrant crisis is um, and like what people are willing to risk to escape from the conditions that they're in. Um, It's very heavy, but you also like, it's also in a way uplifting that you see the people on this ship who are putting in an effort to try to help this along, to try to help these people to try to do whatever they can to improve the situation. Right. Yeah. So yes, I do think there's like, I like the uplift factor of certain people who are really invested in helping here. Um, but it is really heavy. It's, <laughs> it's hard to watch. It's sad. Um, yeah. It makes you sad if you live in America right now, probably. Um, and you care. have to deal with the fact that there are people who don't want to let people into our country. Um, and I think that it's, um, yeah, I just think it's, I mean, I thought it was good. I, it was a good movie. Um, I don't know that it necessarily presented anything I didn't already know to me. Um, maybe that's just because this is specifically an issue that I am interested in reading about, generally speaking. But it is like, you know, it's like a, it's a good reminder to a lot of people. And it's a good like, hey, by the way, you think your life is hard? Look what's happening out there. Yeah. Like, um, so... I mean, personally, I, I mean, I feel like I've heard a decent amount about migrant crisis and whatever, but in this specific part of the world, um, where they're immigrating from places like, um, like Cote d'Ivoire and, uh, Cameroon and trying to get to, uh, like Italy and other places in mainland Europe, I, I don't feel like I knew as much about that situation and, right. um, like I felt, I thought at least for me, this was pretty eye-opening, especially this sections where they actually interview these migrants and like you hear about the conditions that they're fleeing from. Uh, a lot of them were basically imprisoned uh, for extended periods of time for like no other reason than not having papers yep. for no crimes whatsoever. And you get to hear about, uh, all the horrible conditions they've been subjected to and how badly they've been treated along the way. And um, I just, I think it's a very important and extremely time relevant documentary. Um, it is absolutely. I think, I think it is. It's definitely something that everyone should watch if they don't know as much as they should about this situation. Right. Um, like if people aren't familiar with this situation, they should watch this, this sort of thing. Absolutely. And if you're not familiar with the situation, you should do some reading. I mean, it's not. It's 2019. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Um, and yeah, I felt also like the the crew on this boat, especially like the captain, they had he had a lot of uh really nice interviews with some really good sound bites in there. Um that just sort of explain like his whole outlook on this and like why he thought people needed to care more about each other and try to help each other out. Um, and uh, apparently he died shortly after the filming of this documentary. And that the, was a very sad moment. The film was dedicated to him, which I thought was very touching, but sad. Um, Cause yeah, he seemed like a great guy. 
just trying to help out whenever way he could. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a, a sad, like, bookend to this movie. But it was a good movie. Yeah. So that brings us to our last one, which is actually kind of uplifting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, the one, like, kind of fun exuberant one of all of them uh so period end of sentence yeah so period of end of sentence is basically about a bunch of people who work in a pads factory for women in india where periods are a taboo um (laughs) uh which first of all i gotta say i when i when i was watching this i thought this is exactly exactly what a documentary short is built for to talk about a subject that's not really discussed ever like i don't know how many people know that like talking about periods is such a monumental taboo i mean you watch this film and watching when somebody brings up periods to like women or men in india and they're like embarrassed and they don't want to talk about it and they laugh i'm like you know it's not really something we talk about in america very much but yeah. we wouldn't react to that. Like it would be like, like something this, that we this. could talk about like yeah. easily, you know, I like that part was really interesting. Like I, I, so I'd heard of this company before and like the basic situation over in India, but I thought it was very interesting, uh, especially the segment of the documentary where they tried to demonstrate what a, like a huge taboo it is over there. Like every time they tried to get a group of people talking about it, they either like pretend they didn't know what they were talking about or like, just act really confused or just be like, I don't want to say anything. (laughs) And that was crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very interesting to see like, even as much of a taboo subject as it might be over here, like how extremely strong the taboo is over there and like what a different culture is like, you know, like I felt like they demonstrated in a pretty brief period of time there like exactly what the whole cultural attitude was towards menstruation. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, yeah, I thought the movie, yeah, I don't know. I thought the movie was really good. I thought it was like positive. I thought that it had all of these characters who were like really, really memorable. Like every single one of the women in this movie were like, I want to be like, I want to go hang out with them. Like they're awesome. They're yeah. like, <laughs> they don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. Like, they're just like, I want to go out here and do what I want to do. And I want to make these pads so that I can actually have a life. Like, I don't want to have to like hide away for X number of days out of the year wearing a cloth doing whatever. Like, so it was like, that was great. Like, I thought it was really awesome. I, and you know, I think a lot of people probably don't really know about how serious that taboo is. I know that like, like you said, I had a, a sort of an idea because I just, you know, have done reading and know people, but like, I didn't know how serious it was. Like, yeah. you know, um, and like those interviews demonstrated pretty quickly, much more quickly than any amount of reading could do. I think it's just like, right. you see it right there. You see it on the people's faces. You see it in the way they react. Um, that's what documentary is for. Really? Yeah. I really, I really feel like this is the kind of subject that short documentary should be about. Because, like, even, like, things like Lifeboat, I'm like, you could make a full documentary out of this. Like, this could be a feature-length film that you could make yeah. right here. This right. issue. You know, it's like, but period, end of sentence is, like, perfect for that, like, 30-minute documentary. Where it's like, yes, you could go longer and you could probably make a really great thing out of it. But it's like, you can also do so much so swiftly. So it's like, 
it's very effective. I thought it was like the perfect use of it. Um, I really loved it. I thought it was also the great cap to a, a documentary series. It was not very uplifting. And this yeah. one was like, hey, by the way, there was a problem. And this group of people decided we're going to address this problem. We're going to fix it. And we're going to keep encouraging women to fix problems. Like, and I was like, yeah. fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> and like, and there was that guy in the documentary who was like, truly women are the, suspir- the superior gender. And I was like, fuck yeah, they are. Like, <laughs> that's true. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I just so. thought it was great how this, this company was both providing them with something they needed, which was these pads at a low cost that was uh, affordable and that was done in a discreet way when they ha- wouldn't have to go up to some uh, man on the corner store in front of a bunch of other guys hanging out and order pads. Um, and also that the company employed women and gave them a way yeah. to make a living for themselves, to support their families, to better yeah. themselves and to like seeing so many them, women in it like, who had never had a job before. Dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of them were like trying to save up so that they could uh, make even better lives for themselves. So, like the the woman who the the one woman who was like a feature who wanted to go to police academy. Like, yeah, you know, um, it was it was very inspiring. I thought. Yeah, it like, was. I thought it was very inspiring. I thought it was uplifting. I thought it was positive with like a really strong like defiant streak that was like not just positive like to be like you know like smoothing over wounds it was like positive with like you know some fire to it like it was like we're positive but it's like because we demand change and we expect change and we think things should be different like it wasn't just positive for positivity's sake and that was really nice um so i thought yeah i thought it was really good that was nice yeah uh so yeah what are your picks from this section here I think it's hard. I think honestly, Endgame probably has a really, really strong chance of winning the Oscar. Um, I think it's like the right amount of like sentimental, but like brutal that the Academy would look for in something like this. Um, The, the runner up for them, I think would be black sheep. I'm not sure they're ready. I mean, black sheep is just so heavy, you know? Um, Yeah, it is. And like, I feel like I don't know that the Academy is going to pick that. I think that black sheep could win. And Black Sheep, I'm really torn. I think it should be either Black Sheep or period end of, end of sentence. Personal front runner would be Lifeboat. I think that was just the one I found the most interesting, the most illuminating, and like the most well made all around. Um, and I think, I think that has a decent chance of also being the Academy's pick. It does. I mean, it's a really topical issue. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think a lot, I think any of these other than a night at the garden stand a chance. I don't, I don't think there's anything that is like completely out of the running right now. Yeah. You know, but you never know. I mean, just, just you wait and a night at the garden is the one that wins it. <laughs> I mean, like, Nazism I like, and anti-Semitism have been really prevalent. I mean, it's, it's very it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But so, um, I've just, I'm just reminded of last year when like we, we, watched all the animated shorts and the only one that we were like this should not win was the one that ended up winning <laughs> that was animated though <laughs> yeah yeah but you know it's it's like last year literally the only animated short that literally had no oh my god i'm still mad about it I'm <laughs> thinking about it and i'm getting mad it's like there was no reason that one should have won none it's oh. just 
you know, you never know what's going to happen. That's the thing, especially with these shorts. I feel like this shorts is one like all three categories are fairly unpredictable. They compared are compared to the other ones. Like, you know what the front runners for best director and best actor and best picture are going to be. And maybe sometimes they'll surprise you by picking like the second favorite or the third favorite. Oh my God. Oh. I just looked at last year's shorts winners. Continue. <laughs> I, but... all of them are embarrassing. No, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Heaven is a traffic jam on the four Oh five was a delight. And Oh yes. I was so me. glad yeah. that one, that, that, was, was, that one was one of my favorites. <laughs> that was definitely my favorite of the documentary shorts last yeah. year. And I was very glad when that one, but the um, live action and animated are both embarrassing. So continue. <laughs> but yeah, um, the shorts are usually a lot more unpredictable than the standard, uh, categories that everyone knows and loves, um, right. which is part of why they're so interesting. I mean, you actually get to um, try to pick your own favorites and make your own opinions. Um, and where... you're really sort of just like going in blind. Like you don't, I mean, you can yeah, base exactly. off of like old get off of old years, but it's like, especially right now while the Academy is in like a state of change, it's really hard to predict based on past years because they're kind of trying to rebrand themselves half the time. So it's like, Oh, what's going on? Um, <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, so, um, so do you want to do rapid fire trying to just like pick the rest or. All right. Yeah. Let's just um, like not even explain. <laughs> we'll go through, we'll go through all the rest of the nominations and we'll try to uh, enumerate what our specific picks are and what we think the Academy might go for. Uh, so actually let's work up from the bottom so we can end with best picture. I like um, it. I like it. Cause we can argue if we have to. Right. Um, okay. So best original screenplay. Wait, uh, what? Okay. That's not okay. I'm working so off the Oscars official website here. Oh, okay. My bottom is best visual effects, but um, yeah. so hold on. So original screenplay is at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're here. All right. So um, the first category we have down here is original screenplay. Uh, nominees, The Favorite, First Reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. Um, what do you think? Okay, so I think... I honestly think that First Reformed is going to win. And I honestly believe it should. So... Um, Maybe I'm wrong about this and maybe I'm just being hopeful. But I really don't think Green Book, Roma, Vice, or The Favorite are going to take on a screenplay win here. The Favorite is the only one who I can see taking taking the screenplay win away from First Reformed. Right. I don't think Green Book, Roma, or Vice have the screenplay necessarily that is just award-winning. I mean, Roma is a very good film. It's one of my favorite films of the year. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but it's not necessarily like a writing-based film. That's not what makes it great. It's much more so, a feat of visual storytelling. Exactly. Than, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just don't think Roma necessarily should or will win a screenplay award. If it did, I feel like that would be like a. That's like a I don't know. That's just like a comfort award. You know what I mean? Like the, there's no reason for that. Uh, no offense yeah. to Alfonso Cuarón. Um, so I really think it should be first reformed, written by Paul Schrader. Um. But the favorite could be a dark horse there. Yeah. Uh, I'm about at the same place. I'd say I'll actually lean on the side of the favorite winning the award. Uh, but I will say 
just as you did that first reform should be the winner in that category it's just like such a genius screenplay first reformed is so good yeah i yeah it's paul it's paul schrader's time i will say deborah davis has shopped this screenplay for so long that if she does win over the one that i think should win i will not be mad in the slightest (laughs) yeah i'll be like that's totally fine the favorite was an excellent film go ahead take it um (laughs) and the screenplay is very solid for the favorite especially like among some of the other nominees here um i would not be mad to see that one win there is a twitter account that uh i think it's called the favorite out of context and it's literally just uh different scenes from the favorite in gif form and it really makes it really shows you how much the screenplay shines and like the writing is just so solid it's so funny it's so um it's so witty and relevant it it's just it's brilliant but I still think First Reformed should be the winner in that category. It's great. It's a very, it's a highly original film. It's very relevant to the time period, and just the writing, mm, so good in that movie. And it's the only chance that this movie has to get nominated this year's. Uh, I mean, to get recognized at this year's Oscars. So I really hope that it gets the win. Right. So next is the adapted screenplay. Yeah. Um, so for this category, we have the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Landsman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star is Born. I honestly think this is hard. Um, yeah, I agree. I <laughs> like, okay, so I, to me on the third. I think Beale Street will win if I had to guess. Um, I just think it's like, I think that's just because I think it's such a good movie that deserved more nominations overall. Um, yeah. However, I'm not sure if I think Beale Street should win over Buster Scruggs, which I think did a really good job of adapting what it adapted. I mean, <laughs> the way it adapted it is is insane. It's really good, right? Like, so, um, I don't know. I think that um, that's really hard for me. All I know is that Can You Ever Forgive Me should not win. No offense to Can You Ever Forgive Me. Oh, really? And I don't think A Star is Born should win Adapted Screenplay either. I don't think either of them really did anything really exciting with their adaptations. And I'm just, like, bored of adaptations that aren't particularly interesting, you know? Um, If you're going to adapt it for a new medium, do something interesting with the new medium. Um, And as for A Star is Born, if you're going to adapt it for the literal third time that it's been adapted (laughs) since the original, maybe do something new with it. This literally felt like a movie out of 1991. Um, oh, no, a Star Is Born, but I like A Star Is Born, but it's not, it's not relevant to 2019. Who cares? But like, um, the writing uh, isn't particularly original. No, um, it's like a, a war between authentic music and pop music. Like, yeah, that's been a war that's been raging since the 90s and 80s. Like, I don't care. Like, that's not interesting <laughs> because it's not a real war. Like, nobody, nobody actually thinks that's true, right? We all know that pop music is just as real as anything else now. Anyway. Um, yeah. But um, I don't know. So I think it should be Buster Scruggs or Beale Street. I don't know which one will win. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, I think, I think uh, that my personal pick would be if Beale Street could talk here. Um, okay. 
I think that's fair. I think that's really that fair. Would be, that would be my personal pick. But yeah, is in terms of what might win, this really does feel kind of open. I think I do think I do think Beale Street would win over Buster Scruggs. I think that's yeah. just like a given, right? I do think um, it has a very strong case for the Academy. The Academy will probably like to give this movie an award since it didn't get as many nominations in the major categories. Yeah, but it's weird that it already didn't get nominations. So why would they want to get? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, like sometimes that just that's just a good sign that a film is going to get overlooked completely. So you never know. Right. Um, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, hard to say. I, I think I think Can You Ever Forgive Me has a shot of getting the win in this category as well. Uh, it I feel like it's gotten a lot of positive press recently. Relative. Man, that's crazy to me. Can You Ever Forgive Me? I think is a very mediocre film. I think it's like a just like med- middling movie. It's not like like two years from now, nobody's going to remember that this movie existed. Like nobody's going to care. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it depends. I there were there were a number of things I liked a lot about this movie, but I mean, we'll we'll cover that in later nominations as well. Um, so best visual effects um, is the next category for me. Yes, um, same for this this one we have Avengers: Infinity War, Christopher Robin, First Man, Ready Player One, and Solo: A Star Wars Story. Jesus Christ Almighty! Um, I finally completed this category this week by seeing Christopher Robin. Um, uh, okay, so first of all, let's just be clear: Christopher Robin had really nice visual effects. It's very nice. Um, oh yeah. I think First Man is going to win. I don't think that's controversial. Um, I just feel like the Academy is not going to like any of the other these other movies. I don't know. Well. I mean, so the Academy sometimes will pick a film in the visual effects category that doesn't necessarily please the eye in other aspects. We look back to Academy Award winner uh, Suicide Squad (laughs) just last year. Yeah, that's embarrassing. (laughs) So you're right. You're right. I do think there are other movies that stand it. I mean, I could see Ready Player One taking it because, like, there's the Steven Spielberg association. So they're like, oh, we should give it visual effects. And Um, that that scene, uh, that scene that was set in the movie The Shining is. Oh, my God. That's effing insane. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That. I mean, I liked Ready Player One. I know there's some negative takes on Ready Player One. I thought it was a fine film. I thought visually it was really stunning, actually. Visually it was the, the strongest aspect of it, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't I don't know. I didn't go into that thinking, oh, I need to watch this for the story. Um, right. I went into that watch thinking, oh, I need to watch this for how fucking cool it's gonna look and the guy I'm with. But like solo a Star Wars story was oh. boring to look at. Um I don't understand why this even got nominated. I mean, I know it did just because it's a Star Wars movie, but it was like, this was not interesting. This yeah. Was, it was not pleasant to watch. That feels like the least likely of the five. Like, the, um, the effects weren't particularly interesting in that one. Christopher Robin, as much as I earnestly did not dislike that movie, um, I don't think it stands a chance here. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's out of its depth, you know? Um Honestly, I think First Man is kind of out of out of its depth. The only place where it really excelled was like towards the end, where it like you know was showing the moon scenes and everything. Yeah, the um, moon scenes were really, uh, really iconic and eye catching. They're super impressive, but like, 
they're not quite like Ready Player One or even Avengers Infinity War, where it's like you just created entirely new worlds and made them feel like warm and real. Like they do not feel like they're anything digital, you know, like. So I don't know, like, I, I feel like um, both of those movies did something really, really cool with visuals that the other movies here did not do. Um, I think Ready Player One will probably take it. And I think I'm okay with that. Um, so that's that's both your favorite and your Academy pick? Well, that's hard to say. I really liked Infinity War. I'm a big Marvel person. Um, but I don't think, I don't see the Academy having loved Infinity War. I just feel like they probably didn't like it as much. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they could give it to it just because it's a Marvel movie, and yeah. Marvel has not really like done an Oscar sweep anytime, even though Marvel has been the biggest like money maker for Hollywood for the past like ten years. So, and that's like an understatement. I'm pretty sure. So, <laughs> yeah, personally, I think I think my Academy pick would be Infinity War, just because I think they'll want to give a little recognition to Marvel and also because um, the effects in that movie were really incredible, especially for Thanos um, being like a mostly CGI character who is still very believable. And um, I think the issue I have is that I, I feel like I've seen it happen a million times where they, when it's the first part of a two parter, they're not going to give it awards. They're just That's not. That's a good point. That's a good they're point. Gonna, yeah. They're going to wait for Avengers Endgame. They're going to assume Endgame is going to be amazing and give it awards because Endgame is probably going to be very good. Let's all be clear. We know that Marvel has a template and that it works. Like, yeah. At least I mean, for the first full phase of their cycle, it's going to work. And Endgame is probably going to be good. So Endgame will sweep the awards at some point, possibly. Like, <laughs> And that's what they no. did with the Lord of the Rings, basically, is they waited yeah. to the last installment and then they gave it all the awards. Uh, so you might be right on that one. Uh, but yeah, I'll stick with that for my Academy pick. And then for my personal pick. Hmm. It's hard because I think a lot of these had good visual effects and they're yeah. all very different. They do very different things visually. They are. And, and like the we have uh, like more high dramas here. A couple of like real solid effects driven blockbusters and like a kid's movie. So, yeah, we really sort of run the gamut in different sort of uses of visual effects. I think the cool Um, thing about like something like Christopher Robin, I know that's the kid's movie here, um, is that it really never felt like like nothing I was looking at necessarily felt like I was looking at like a computer image like. Like, even, like, Pooh Bear. Like, it felt, like, fine. Like, I was like, that's just, like, a little bear walking around. It's fine. Like, yeah. it's a little stuffed bear. Um, so it is really, really impressive. So I do think they actually picked, like, five really solid choices. Okay, four really solid choices and one choice that I think is really questionable. <laughs> yeah, um, Solo, I, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, uh, I really I, did I, not like that movie. <laughs> I, I like the movie okay. I just don't think the effects were really that phenomenal. Um but yeah, I, I think for my personal pick, I'll go with Christopher Robin. Uh, it might be a recency bias. I just watched that a couple days ago. But I, I do think that the the characters that they create with the visual effects there are really quite something. Um, and they manage to give a sense of cartoonishness and realism at the same time. And yeah. like you really you you get a you learn to love these characters. You know, you you love this weird the kind of drippy version of Pooh. Um, 
that really feels a little more like a stuffed animal than the cartoon versions we've seen of him. But um, right. I think it, I think it's pretty likable. Uh, I'll go with that for my personal pick. Nice. All right. So uh, sound categories. Uh, All right. Let's do it. Yeah. I, honestly, I don't know enough about sound to distinguish between these two categories. Um, but we'll start off with sound mixing. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Sorry. This is a really <laughs> sound uh, sound mixing. Uh, we have Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, Roma, and A Star is Born. Now, as I understand, sound mixing is about creating a field of sound that you experience in in the theater. So like it's it's about mixing all the sounds together to create a sound landscape. It's you know what? That makes sense to me. Yeah. Different yeah. from sound editing in that sound editing is you are uh you are figuring out the precise sounds that you need to use in each scene. Um, right. often creating these sounds from scratch yourself. Okay, no, you know what? So, that actually does make sense to me. So someone feel free to anyone who knows more about this to elaborate on that, but that's the working definition that I'm going to go with. So for that reason, I think sound mixing, I think first man or black Panther should take it. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like, First Man has a lot of really great sound mixing. Just, I mean, we, I mean, First Man is about traveling into space. There are a lot of moments that have really great sound, right? Um, and just the way it is mixed for a theater, I think really work. I don't necessarily, I didn't see all of these movies in a theater. I didn't see First Man or Roma. Well, I saw Roma in a theater. Sorry. The first time yeah. I saw Roma, though, I didn't see it in a theater. Um, you know, I don't know if I necessarily know, but like something like a star is born. I don't really understand why that's even here then. Right. Like, um, I, so musical movies tend to get nominated in the mixing category because, you but know, that's silly. So that's just the like, music in and all that. Yeah. But, uh, but like, I don't know, like bore rap. We don't care about that. So like, um, <laughs> F that. but I really thought black Panther, the audio experience in a theater was really impressive. I remember watching it and being like, this sounds really cool. Like the music is at the, the way the music was done was great. The way everything else was done was really excellent. I don't know. I thought black Panther had excellent sound design. I loved it. So, uh, black Panther would probably be my personal favorite. I don't know if they'll pick it because I don't know if they're ready to do the superhero thing yet, but Mm -hmm. they might be. So I'm not saying it's out of the question, but if they're not, I'm saying first man will take it. So I think they're usually a little more willing to give uh, the technical awards to superhero movies and stuff like that. So I wouldn't rule it I out. I know. You literally just said the same thing um, yeah. about visual effects. But so I visual definitely think you're especially. right. Yeah. I just, you know, you never know. You never know. Um, right. Um, I do think Black Panther stands a really strong chance, and I do think it would be deserved if it won it. So I think for this, uh, both my Academy pick and my personal pick would be First Man. I only saw this at home, but I just I thought the impression that was given to me by the sound was so incredible. Like they really managed to make every sound during the takeoff like build into this sort of crescendo of like how risk and danger that was surrounding these astronauts. And yeah. I just I thought they they did such a good job of building like sort of a soundscape around that and like making you aware of the space that that whole thing was taking place in. 
Um, so I thought that was great. I think another strong contender that might sneak in there is Roma. Um, just having seen that in theaters uh, and hearing how enveloping the sound design of that film is, where you can hear like different voices coming from different parts of the theater, like conversations bouncing around and like a soundscape that just sort of puts you into that world, I think would make Roma a strong contender as well. I do. Yeah, I agree. Roma is my pick for the next category, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Sound editing. Yeah. Roma uh, is my, my personal pick and my Academy pick, for, but uh, go over the whole nominees. Yeah, the, the nominees for sound editing are Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, A Quiet Place, and Roma. Most yeah. of the same nominees from mixing. Only we the, have swapped uh, Stars Born with A Quiet Place. Yes. I think Roma will take it, and I think Roma should take it, um, is my personal opinion here. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to say I think the Academy would give like a nice like throwaway award to A Quiet Place, but I don't think they will. So, um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Roma for the Academy pick, but I'll put A Quiet Place as my personal pick. Because I think I just think what they did with sound in that movie was so incredible and unique. It is. I mean, that's really hard. Yeah. Just to see the effect like I've never seen. I've literally never seen the sound choices in a movie have that big an effect on an audience. Like you're right. I mean, I absolutely think you're right. I think probably should win. You're probably right. Yeah. Having seen that in a theater, like just you can see the whole audience become aware like within the first five or 10 minutes of like how the movie's going to go. And just instantly they become as quiet as they possibly can. And everyone in the theaters on their best behavior, everyone is just making that single sound and they're just like anticipating everything that happens on the screen. I think that's incredible. Uh, If a quiet place wins, I'm taking four shots on the next part. (laughs) Like, (laughs) all right, you heard it here first folks. Okay. Um, That's, that's money down. I would be really excited is all I'm saying. Cause you're right. A quiet place. I mean, it's insane what it does with sound. Like, yeah, it's so solid. Um, it's, it's really very unique and original. And I I hope that nobody else has done that. Yeah. It's the only chance it has to get recognition at the Oscars this year. So I'd love to see it take home a win. Mm -hmm. All right. So moving up the categories, we got all the shorts. We've discussed those. Um, we have production design uh, production design Uh, the nominees here are Black Panther The Favorite, First Man Mary Poppins Returns and Roma so I guess production design is just the whole the whole thing right Um, yeah it's like it's like set design it's art design just any any sort of like visual elements I kind of feel like The Favorite will win I kind of love to see Black Panther win, though. I mean, I've said it. I don't know if I've said it on pod. I can't remember. But I do think Black Panther is, like, out of this category, the most unique production design we have here. Yeah. All of these are very, like, you know, you have The Favorite, which is, like, a period piece set in Europe. You have First Man, which is a period piece set in America. You have Mary Poppins, which is a period piece set in Europe. You have Romo, which is a period piece set in Mexico. Like, (laughs) like... You know, it'd be nice to see something that takes its production design cues from Africa 
for a change. It and, would be really, really, really relieving to see that. And and especially that creates its own like fictional city. Yeah. Um, and like its entire society and their design aesthetic and everything. Yeah. Everything feels so unique there. It is like creative. It's stunning to look at. I mean, there's never a bored moment in Black Panther just from looking at the screen. Like, so it's like, I don't know. I think Black Panther should win. I think Black Panther could win, but I think the favorite probably stands the better chance here. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'll agree with you that the favorite is probably the front runner. Uh, the favorite is the favorite, favorite, would you say? Yeah, the favorite is the favorite here. Um, my personal pick will be Roma just because of uh, what I heard went into the production design for this. They basically recreated like a whole five block section of Mexico city in the 1970s to yeah, film this that's, movie. <laughs> that's really insane. Which uh, just sounds like such an insane feat. Um, and it, it's very immersive in this movie. Like you feel like the feeling of being in the city as the camera goes down these long sweeping shots um, that were clearly used that they clearly used this set for. Um, I think it's incredible. I think it's really immersive and interesting. And there's a number like even outside that section, there's a number of very interesting sets and visual choices made in Roma. So yeah, I think that'd be my personal pick. That's not a bad pick. I think Roma is a fine pick. All right. Original song. Um, we have all the stars <laughs> from black Panther. I'll fight from RBG. The Place Where Lost Things Go from Mary Poppins, Shallow from A Star is Born, and When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings from A Ballad of Buster Scruggs. You know what? Do we have to say it? Shallow is going to win, but the winner should be the theme song from Murray. <laughs> yes. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So Shallow is going to win. There's just there's no way that's not going to happen. It's the most iconic song from a movie this year. Man, this reminds me so much of the NCAA tournament last year. <laughs> it will win. Shallow will win. Um, out of these nominees, personally, my pick would be "When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings." Um, that's such a good song. I mean, it's it was a so great good. song. Yeah, it's it was... one that I have personally listened to far more than I listened to the Shallow. Yeah. Other than the times where I've been out at bars and they played shallow. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't avoid that. And you know, when it comes on, you'll turn up for it. But I will absolutely turn up for it. Um, nobody's playing when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings at the bars. But if but they did, you know what? Flaming saddles. You know what? I'm gonna request it. Yeah, they should. That would be very fitting. They would love it. it. Um it takes place at such a unique point in the movie. Um yeah. it's such a a, a weird way to play a duet uh i don't know if i want to spoil how it happens but no don't don't it's pretty great it's really it funny really good and it's really it's really cute and charming uh um, i also want to point out that all the stars is a good song that's a really good song yeah we've actually got three pretty good songs here like <laughs> i mean i'll fight is probably fine i don't know I'll i think is, i've heard it once i'll fight is good um, but it's like it's one of those songs where it's like yeah it plays over the credits in a documentary right. it's like what do they really use this as well it's also the song from a documentary about a political figure like it's like very much in that vein yeah. um 
but like all the stars is like actually like i put that on playlists and i've like heard it at parties and i'm like that's fine yeah i'm fine with that um so it's a good song too i like i like it um yeah so i think shallow will win and shallow. i kind of still think shallow should win based on these nominees but when a cowboy trades his birds for wings is like not a bad choice yeah but uh getting to the the theme song from Mireille, um <laughs> listen to this song go like if even if you don't watch this movie and you should definitely watch this movie because Mirai is an incredible animated film uh just go look up the theme from Mirai on youtube or something it's such a beautiful song uh it's by tatsuro yamashita who is um he's a big japanese pop disco artist from the 80s who's still making music these days uh i and i didn't even realize this at first so when it first started playing i was like oh my god this is incredible and also i was like this sounds familiar like this guy sounds really familiar to me and later i looked it up and like he's uh his songs have been featured in a lot of vaporwave remixes which <laughs> which i have um listened to so i was it, I have a very personal connection to this artist and nice. this song, I think. Um, but yeah, that, that should have been nominated, I think. Uh, there's there's definitely room, I think, in this category for a song of that caliber. It was great. But, you know, can't win them all. No. It's great. Um, all right, so original score. Uh, we have Black Panther... Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, Isle of Dogs, and Mary Poppins Returns. I mean, Beale Street was so good. Beale Street is definitely my personal pick. I yeah. mean, without a doubt. Um, I kind of feel like Beale Street will win, too. <sighs> Unless they really want to give, like, Alexander Desplat an award for yeah. Dogs. That's the only thing I that's the only one I would think like might be a spoiler there in terms of the academy. Um because that is the kind of thing they'd like to give it a score to, but it really should be if Beale Street could talk. The, the score, score of Beale Street is so remarkable. <laughs> it's so good and it's so crucial to all the emo uh, the emotional moments in that film. It is, yeah. Um it like that that movie is just so anchored by its cinematography paired with the really heart wrenching music. And uh the music absolutely delivers hundred percent. Right. So yeah. Yeah, I'm Beale with you on Beale Street. Street. I think Beale Street should win. I think Beale Street probably will win, but I wouldn't be shocked if something like I Love Dogs won, or even Black Panther. I do think Black Panther's score was pretty memorable. Yeah, yeah, score was um, really good in that. Yeah. Um. So. All right. All right. Makeup and hairstyling. Um. We have Border, Mary Queen of Scots, and Vice. I would love to see Border win. That would, would love be it. I would love it. I think Vice is gonna win. I could be wrong. I think Vice is the clear frontrunner here. <laughs> um, I mean, you've got Christian Bale like completely transformed into Dick Cheney. Yeah, but uh, the cast of Border is also completely unrecognizably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. Um, I just think Vice is like a little more high profile. It is. You're right. And... Vice is definitely going to win this. I'm just mad about it. So, yeah. I mean, I I, I don't think it's undeserving. I think that the makeup was very good. Um, 
I don't know. Like for my personal pick, I would definitely be. I'm torn between Border and Vice. I think I would lean towards Vice actually. Just because um, you get to you see him made up as Dick Cheney through so many different periods of time, and still convincingly so. That's fair. That's fair. Like you see him as a young man, an old man, yeah, yeah. Old man, everything. No, no, no. I think that's fine. Yeah. It's. I mean, it, it is definitely. That's like one of the best aspects of the film is the makeup and hairstyling. So right. I don't. It's like one of the only things that I unequivocally liked about it whereas everything else i pretty much disliked so um. <laughs> yeah all right uh best foreign language film we have capernaum cold war never look away roma and shoplifters okay so neither of us has seen every single one of these films right right we were both um, at four out of five um, yes have i have not, not seen, seen capernaum, capernaum. Yeah. i have not seen never look away so, okay. um, I mean, I'll, I'll just give my judgment based on the four that I have seen. Um, I don't think never look away will factor. So I think you're okay. I don't know. I, my personal pick is cold war. Um, and I, I think the Academy may agree with me on that one. Uh, yeah. just because I think that like the other front runner would be Roma but I feel like they might reward Roma in either the director or best picture categories and then let something like Cold War win the best foreign language. Yeah, so I agree that Roma is going to... I think Roma isn't going to win here because it's going to win big elsewhere. I totally right. agree with that. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, I'm torn, though on personal pick it's between cold war and shoplifters and i loved them both so much i like i thought they were just both so excellent i think the academy is going to go with cold war though i really do mm-hmm. think that you're right about that um it's just like it it talks it speaks to everything the academy likes in a film um in like every way so i really think it's like a dead set to win unless roma wins unless they decide to just go all in on roma you know what i mean yeah. Um, unless they let Roma win every category it's nominated for, I think Cold War has this one, basically. That's what I'm saying. Right. Um, yeah. But I can't decide if I like Cold War or Shoplifters more. I do think Cold War, direct, like, from a director standpoint, is better, but that's like a different category. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, Cold War and Cold War. Why not? Let's just go all in on Cold War. All right. Both all in on Cold War on that one. Uh, film editing. <laughs> well, I think we know the clear answer here. We don't have to read them off. I think it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. By John Oddman. Both choices. Um, uh, the clear front runner. Well, it did win the Ace Editor Awards. So, uh, it's clearly the front runner. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Tell me now. So the category is Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book and Vice. I think the favorite will win. I think the favorite should win. Um, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I think Green Book um, had not remarkable at all editing. Bohemian Rhapsody had bad editing. Vice had mostly bad editing. It interesting editing at least, but nothing. Nothing. Bad. I mean, it like tried the editing is what I'm saying. Like <laughs> Vice definitely tried. I don't think it succeeded. It had it. Black, Black Clan. It had, 
this film was edited. Um, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> Black Klansman was fine, but I don't think the editing really like was like a key part of that film. Right. So. Yeah, uh, I think the only thing I think of about Black Klansman is that that really jarring ending. Um, oh yeah, editing. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it. I don't know if that's like nomination material. I'm not gonna lie. If it so. were to win, it would win off the strength of that because that yeah. was uh, that was something, and that definitely affected audiences pretty uh, acutely. Yeah. Yes. So, um, but I'll co-sign with you on the favorite uh, for both choices, um, and we'll just. I gotta say, I just want to be clear that I think that this category is weak. I don't think any of these were necessarily deserving of best. Yeah, editing. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. I don't yeah, understand. I mean, these are all basically just pictures that are nominated for best picture. Yeah. So, like, I don't feel like any of these were nominated on the strength of their editing alone. Yeah. I, I think it's ridiculous. I don't I don't understand. Um so But uh we'll just both keep our fingers crossed that Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't win because if it does, we'll be circulating that clip around again. Uh if you haven't checked out our Twitter, it's quite the doozy. It's ter- <laughs> it's terribly edited, Bohemian Rhapsody. Anyway, it's really bad. On. Let's quite not even bad. get bogged down in that because I'm gonna right. get mad. Uh so moving on to the documentaries. Um we've covered the shorts, so uh, best documentary feature, uh, Free Solo, Hale County This Morning This Evening, Mind the Gap, Of Fathers and Sons, and RBG. I honestly don't know what I think will win. It's a really tough call. I got to say, I mean, there's a few different frontrunners for completely different reasons. Like we have some very technically impressive documentaries here. We have some very personal and deep documentaries and some very politically relevant documentaries here. So there's all like three different kinds of things that the Academy likes to reward. Um, So it's a matter of what do we think they'll be interested in this year and what do we think would um, would outpace the others? Very tough choice. It is tough. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start with my personal pick, at least. I'll go with Minding the Gap on that one. I just thought that was such a original, interesting documentary. It really engrossed me, and it felt so incredibly personal for the director. And yet he managed to like distance himself enough from it to like critically evaluate himself and his friends, which I thought was uh, very impressive for a, like a first-time feature director like this uh so i very absolutely agree with you minding the gap is my my choice personally um i think it was the best one here easily Um, i mean i haven't seen one of them so that's take that for what you will i haven't seen hill county but um county is good uh i i definitely liked it but i mean um, i haven't disliked any of the others i don't expect to dislike hill county um but yeah i think minding the gap was amazing i thought it was like very unique. I thought it felt very personal in a way that some documentaries don't something like RBG, which I loved, but did not feel very personal. Um, so, you know, I think that, yeah, I loved finding the gap. However, I think that the winner is going to be like probably free solo or RBG. If I had to guess, um, I would say free solo. That's my pick for the Academy. 
Um, I think it's high profile enough and impressive enough that that'll get it the win. Yeah. I just can't see like something like Mining the Gap of Fathers and Sons or even Hale County leaving the impression on them to make a win. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I haven't hit- seen Hale County yet, but. Right. Okay. And Free Soul is a great movie. Um, it is. I it really one of I mean, my I've favorites liked- as well. So Yeah, I was going to say I've liked all of these that I've seen. I'm not. I'm not bashing any that win. Yeah. Documentary category was strong this year. Yeah, it was good. good. But they're all very different. And so. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think that was what was the best part of that. This category this year was it really illustrated the diversity of the documentary format. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It's got so many different ways of telling a story through documentary footage. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, we're closing in on the major awards here. Uh, Best Director is next. We have Spike Lee for Black Klansman, Paul Pawlikowski for Cold War, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite, Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, and Anna McKay for Vice. This has been a contentious subject in headlines recently. People have been arguing about it. Um... (laughs) And I don't necessarily know who I think will win. I've seen a lot of takes that it's Spike Lee's like time, you know, Black Klansman was good. Right. Um, I don't know that Black Klansman is Spike Lee's best effort. Um, yeah. I mean, it's hard to live up to like do the right thing and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, I do like Black Klansman. I think it's a good movie. I don't know if it's his best directorial outing. However, I think that um, Pavlikowski and Quaron both did stunning work here. I thought that was, I mean, it's ter- in terms of their direction, this was like standout. This was really, really stunning. I think Lanthimos did good work here too, but I think Lanthimos had done really, really equally as excellent, if not better work in past films. So I'm not, you know, um, right. I think this was like a height of direct of directorship for somebody like Alfonso Caron. This was like something I, you know, he did gravity. Um, <laughs> he did Harry Potter. Um, and those were both really, really good, but that they weren't Roma. You know? He also did children um, of men. So I mean, he's, he's tackled weighty subjects before for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just saying though, that like in the past, like some of his movies haven't been like something that like where the directing has really like, struck me as much as it did with something like Roma, you know? Right. Um, um, and so, you know, I think that Roma, a Corone would deserve it if he won. I don't know if they'll give it to them. Cause I think they often like to give it to something other than what they give best picture to. So spoiler alert for what I think they'll give best picture to. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, actually I, in general, if you look at like, if you look at it statistically, generally, the best director lines up with the best picture. Oh, um, so it's sad. only in recent years that there's been a split between the two of them more often. But I feel like recent years is what we probably should base it off of. Yeah, also. I mean, that's true. Yeah, I, I feel like recently there's been more of a move to credit the directors separately and then use, uh, use that as a chance to reward two great films uh, one for the director and one for best picture. So I don't think we should use it as a chance to reward two separate things, just like on principle. Like I, but I think that if the direct, you know, the I mean, best picture can be separate from the direction. Yeah, like it obviously. can be extremely separate. And so, like, 
I think that, um, you know, I think we should definitely consider it being separate, but I don't think it should be like, oh, you didn't win Best Picture, so we'll give you Best Director. You know, you know, I don't like that idea, but um, I think that's kind of sad because it's like, well, that doesn't still mean you were like the best direction. It just means you were like the second best picture that they think. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't want that, but. Um, but um, I mean, personally, I think I would give this one to Lanthimos for the okay. favorite. I, I'd like to see him win an Oscar. That'd be my. I'd personal. love to see him win an Oscar as well. Um, yeah. I think the Academy will give it to Spike Lee. I think they'll feel like they I owe it to him probably, at this point, yeah. and they'll feel like and Black Spike Lee Klansman. does deserve it. I yeah, mean, and he does. He, and Black Klansman is a great film. Uh, definitely deserves it. Is he? He made a very relevant and powerful film. Uh, for this time, and uh, I think that the Academy will reward him for it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, sort of backtracking a little bit in the relevance here. Uh, we have costume design, oh. Ball- Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Panther, the favorite, Mary Poppins Returns, and Mary Queen of Scots. I think the favorite will win. I just feel like the favorite's going to win a lot of these. Uh, but I yeah. think Black Panther should. Black Panther is my personal favorite. I loved the way they lined up the different tribes with a different, you know, I just thought it was really cool. Um, so I thought Black Panther worked really, really well. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. I definitely uh, I definitely see what you're going for there. Uh, I, would, I would go with the favorite for both um, as my personal pick and the Oscars. Um, yeah, I just I really like the costumes in that. I thought they were so crazy and over the top and like period and yet dramatic at the same time i think the favorite is definitely easily my second choice like black panther is my favorite of these this category but the favorite is easily my second favorite so if it wins i'm not going to be mad i like it's really great costume design so yeah and i like the costumes in black panther too so i definitely would not be mad to see that win um cinematography we have cold war the favorite Never Look Away, Roma, and A Star is Born. And uh, here's one category where I'm at a disadvantage, having not seen Never Look Away yet. But Okay. I have seen all of these. Um, I will say right now, just to you, Never Look Away is not a contender. Um, okay. It's fine cinematography, I but I don't know why it was nominated here. I don't think it was as, it was good enough to be in a cinematography category for the Oscars. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, I think, I don't know. This is really tough. I kind of think Cold War should win. Um, yeah. I just feel like there is something so stunning about Cold War cinematography. Like Mm -hmm. when I was watching that, I was like, it was like breathtaking the whole time. But there are moments of Roma cinematography that, like, were similar. I mean, so I think my thing is that Cold War, like, consistently, I kind of felt like the whole cinematography was just, like, really gripping and didn't necessarily regularly make me, like, gasp or anything. Roma was, like, there were moments where I was, like, I'm kind of floored by this moment right now that you have just shown me, you know? Um, (laughs) Mostly those are, like, at the end, like, the beach scene and everything. Um, oh, which God, I just yeah, that scene was amazing. It was just like 
the cinematography there was like absolutely out of this world. Um, and I think that that should absolutely be credited, but I don't know, like cold war. It also did so much with so little meaning it's runtime. Like it, like it packed so much into its cinematography because it didn't have like a two and a half hour runtime to benefit from. Um, so I don't know. I think either one of those could win and either one of those should win. I think it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. I basically view it as a three-way race between the favorite Cold War and Roma. I think they all have interesting things going on in terms of cinematography. I think my personal pick would be the favorite just because the choices made in that movie are so off the wall and so crazy. Like the, like, just nobody has ever used a fisheye lens in a period piece before. That's yeah, that's <laughs> really good. I mean, that's, that's like a yeah, crazy thing to do. That's fucking and awesome. <laughs> it works so well in this nutty ass film. It does. And yeah. Like I just I love when that happened. Uh, yeah, and the it, favorite is really good. I mean, I think a lot of this category is really strong. I think A Star yeah. Is Born is a weak link, and I think Never Look Away is a weak link. But like uh-huh. the other three here are really really good. Yeah, I think I'd give I'd give Roma the Academy's pick on this one. I just feel like the the style of it and the the fact that it was shot in 70 millimeter and everything is going to give it the boost it needs. Yeah, Uh, I think you're probably right about that. Alfonso Cuaron doing his own cinematography here is a nice little uh, tidbit to. Okay, well, Cuaron did his own everything here, so. He's quite the savant. Uh, he is. Interesting Good guy. Um, all right. Animated feature. This one, um, this one's interesting. I mean, I think personally, the so the nominees for this category are Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um I think both my personal pick and the clear front runner for the Academy would be Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, this movie is just phenomenal in terms of animation. It's groundbreaking and it would really be a shame if it didn't win this year. Definitely. Uh, yeah. One of the most impressive things we've seen in uh animated film in a, several years. Yeah. My picks are Spider-Man and Spider-Man. I think if it doesn't win, we should probably riot in front of the Academy. Um, It's like, it would be insane to think of this not winning. This is, like you said, one of the most groundbreaking animated films in so long. It's genius. I don't know. It should win. There's like nothing else to say about it. Like, (laughs) and I, I really loved Mirai. Uh, I just, me too. Yeah. It was an amazing time. So I would say that would be my, my close second but I, I really yeah. don't feel like anything can surpass Spider-Man. No. Uh, no. And this is coming from someone who is very skeptical about the idea of a Spider-Man animated movie going into it. Uh, but, you know, I heard the reviews. I heard they were great. One checked it out and it was, you know, it more than delivered. Uh, right. It's quite the feat. Uh, I definitely yeah. recommend anyone who hasn't seen that to check it out because uh, it's it's quite something. It's amazing. All right. Um, so now the acting category into the acting categories. Um, so for best actress in a supporting role, we have Amy Adams for Vice, 
Marina de Tevira for Roma, Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone for The Favorite, and Rachel Wise for The Favorite. I think Regina King is the frontrunner here for If Beale Street Could Talk. I think she will probably win, and I think that that is totally fine and deserved. However, I thought Emma Stone was really stunning in The Favorite. I mean, right. It, she was just so memorable, everything about her. It was a role really unlike a lot of roles that we've seen Emma Stone play. Um, it yeah, was awesome to watch. I think that, um, I don't know, I just thought it was really, really excellent. And I thought it was something that we're all going to remember for years to come. Um, yeah, you got to see her be cunning and devious, which is not really her normal. Yeah, uh, she plays like the like sort of like mold. gawky kind outsider girl who isn't like the mischievous type here she is mischievous she's she's mean she's you know like i don't know it was like really different for her and she played it really really well so if she i would love to see her win but i do think regina king will win and um i will not be mad about that i thought regina king did an amazing job here and i think regina king getting some some recognition is long 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 overdue so. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you that she's the front runner. I think I'd also take her as my personal pick just because her her role in Beale Street is incredibly powerful uh, and she nails it to a T. Um, unfortunately, this is the only acting nomination for this movie. I really think it should have gotten some more uh, in the leads. But yeah, the leads um, both this is what we have. <laughs> um, and it's good. It's good to see her get this nomination. I hope she wins it. Um, yeah, she was great. I would love to see it. It would be totally fine with me. All right. Uh, best supporting actor. We have Mahershala Ali for Green Book, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Sam Elliott for A Star is Born, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice. This is a hard category because I don't want to see any of these people win. Um... Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. Um... That's not true. I really liked Mahershala Ali in Green Book. I just really don't like that great. movie. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to see that movie take home That's the struggle. Oscars because I don't want it to be able to say it's an Oscar winning film. Um, yeah. Yeah. I Okay. So I think Mahershala Ali probably actually stands a really good chance, even though he like sort of just like won the sword. Um, I also think that maybe he shouldn't be a supporting nomination here. That seems ridiculous to me. He's like a co-lead in this one. Yeah. He's definitely as much a lead as Viggo Mortensen, right? I'm not crazy. Um, I'd say they have the same amount of screen time approximately because there's several scenes that he's in that Viggo isn't in and vice versa. Right. I also hate the idea that... Mahershala Ali for Green Book is in the same category as Sam Elliott for A Star is Born or Sam Rockwell for Vice. Who, both they're of both... those were really not in that movie very much. Yeah, I mean, they're like 10 minutes in that movie, which is like your standard supporting actor role. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Mahershala Ali is way more in this movie than your standard supporting. Yeah, and so he... I just don't understand why I, the supporting role is really like, it really bothers me here. Um, yeah, I mean, even Adam Driver was really a lot more in Black Klansman than your typical supporting role. Yes, he was. I mean, even Richard E. Grant was more whatever. But um, mm-hmm. 
So I think that basically this category boils down to Marshall Ali and Adam Driver. I think there's no question about that. I don't think any of the others are really like going to stand a chance here. And I will say that I think either of them would be deserving. I think they both really played this, their characters really, really well. I think the unfortunate part is that they both just weren't necessarily supporting. They should be in leading nominations, if anything. Yeah. Like, um, and I think that's un I also think that's unfair to the actual supporting actors here who like were actually supporting. Yeah. If you're in the movie for only 10 minutes and you have to go up against someone who is basically a second lead in their movie, it's not really fair. No, it's not. So like, and Marshall Ali and Adam Driver were both basically leads in their films. Like, and either of one of them is probably going to win. I don't think that's really like a question. I don't, Nobody has talked about Sam Elliott for A Star is Born. Nobody has talked about Sam Rockwell for Vice. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to surprise you here. Um, I'm going to say one of the others. <laughs> all right, so my personal pick will be Marshall Ali for Green Book. Okay. I thought he was really great, really touching. Um, I think of these five, he was the role that was most memorable to me. But I think the Academy might go with Richard E. Grant for the Oscar here. Um He's had a lot of buzz recently. Uh, he's been doing very well on the uh, press tour circuit. And like really the front runner who would be Marshall Ali just won an Oscar. And generally the Academy doesn't award um, awards back to back years. So I think that Richard E. Grant might sneak in here. I don't that think would... Marshall Ali will actually, I don't think there's any chance he could actually win it. Yeah, just because yeah. of like you said, they don't do it back to back. That would be, be very unusual. It, it However, could happen, but I was going to say it would be it'd be exciting to see it happen for his sake. But um, I mean, it it like in all fairness, it probably should. Like, there, there's too much of this gamesmanship in the Oscars. they being like, oh, it's so and so's time. Oh, they just yeah. got one. They shouldn't get another. We should just award whoever makes the best movies. Right. Uh, but no, I there's agree with a that. there's a lot more politics behind it, and if you're playing the game, we got to try to figure out uh, how it's going to be played. Um, so moving on to the uh, leading roles, we have for best actress in a leading role, uh, Yalitza Aparicio for Roma, Glenn Close for The Wife, Olivia Coleman for The Favorite. Lady Gaga for A Star is Born, and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Do we have to say who we think the Academy is going to pick? I feel like everybody who's listening to any movie podcast knows who's the Academy has been playing to pick for a long time, and that's Glenn Close for The Wife. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, it's it's another one of those cases of uh, it's it's their time. I haven't seen The Wife yet, so I can't comment on how good that performance is, but I definitely am aware that Glenn Close is long due for an Oscar. Uh, so this seems to be one of those nominations where they'll you know, push through for a legacy win. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think Glenn Close is going to win. I would love to see Yalitza Aparicio win for Roma. Um, I think it would be absolutely amazing. I think she was stunning for somebody who doesn't have a long history in acting um right. yeah. you know i think she did an amazing job i thought it was incredible and if not her i would l i mean olivia coleman was so good in the favorite it was like it was awesome so you know yeah 
Um, I'd love to see either Yalitzia or Olivia win, but I think Glenn Close is winning. Yeah, I think Olivia Coleman would be my personal pick, but I do agree that uh, Glenn Close will probably win. It's interesting. Um, Lady Gaga does not seem to be the front runner that she was once predicted to be. Um, I know. Yeah, I, you, you could definitely still see her sneaking away with a win, but uh, it would be pretty hard up against some of these other nominees. Well, I've read some interesting articles um, about how basically like every year, I mean, not every year, but it's become especially prevalent now. A Star is Born started as like the award circuit darling. Everybody thought it was going to win everything. But anytime something starts out as a favorite that early, it sort of fizzles out and everybody turns against it. I mean, it happens with every major movie. Think about La La Land, how like every there was like that immediate backlash for a long time. And I was like, why? It's yeah. a good movie. I don't understand why we're all mad at it. Like <laughs> people are just sick of hearing about it, I guess. Um, I think that is true. And I think that's what happened with A Star is Born. Um, and so I. And it's kind of a bummer because I think that like is causing it to suffer. I think that causes movies to suffer in the Oscars when it's like a movie that should win doesn't because it came out too early and got too much hype for too long. Um, yeah. So um, that's a bummer. I don't think that's not to say I think A Star is Born is actually deserving of many like massive Oscars because I don't necessarily think it is. I think it's like a fine movie, but not a great movie. But Lady Gaga is really good and deserves to be in the best actress. Role yeah, here. like she, she deserves to be in this category. So, right. like, you know, um, so like, I also don't like like how like it's quickly become like if you hear conversations about it, she's not mentioned. You know, like, um, other than like, oh, once she was a a nominee and was like a front runner, but now she's not, and it's like she should still be like considered a front runner. You know? Yeah, absolutely. she was still really good. Um, so. So uh, moving on to best actor in a leading role, we have Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born, Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. This is hard. I honestly don't know who I think the Academy is going to pick because I would be unhappy with any of them. Really? Wow. Um... (laughs) I Who would think, you be happy with here? You haven't seen Eternity's Gate yet. Um, yeah, so I, I can't I can't judge on that. I mean, honestly, um, I think the only one I'd really be unhappy with would be Viggo Mortensen. I just don't think that role was particularly interesting or impressive. It wasn't. He was not very good. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know Willem Dafoe's role, so I can't comment on that. But the other three... He was actually I good. He was good. That would be good. Um, I think... The probable front runner is going to be Christian Bale for Vice. I think Rami Malek also has a good chance of taking it, but I think at this point that film has become so controversial that it might not win in this category, and Christian Bale may be taking home another Oscar. Um, I think it's of- hard to say it's been that controversial. It's only been controversial in like our like film circles, not in like mainstream. Yeah, but I mean keep in mind that the people voting also run in those weird little niche film circles. So it's hard to tell. It's not always necessarily true. If they had, they wouldn't have voted for crash, but like, <laughs> um, <laughs> like I think done. Rami Malek is probably the front runner just based on like precedent on what he's won before and leading into this. He's yeah. Yeah. He's he got has, all based on everything. Yeah. The gold globe. Right. Yeah. He's, he's won multiple awards before. 
it's based on that historically he's got this um yeah and i mean it like of all the things wrong with that movie i think his performance was pretty great yeah like, of all yeah absolutely he like if he wins i'm not i'm gonna try not to be mad about it because it's like he was very good and i know he put his heart into it um i just don't want to reward bohemian rhapsody um I- yeah, I just don't even know what my personal pick for this one is. No, I don't um, really like what they've nominated for this category. Not really I just don't it. really. Maybe Bradley Cooper. I just, I don't know. I feel like he get, really gave his all in this movie. And Bradley Cooper's the only one here who, if you asked me, I would put here. You know, like if I had to think about it. Yeah. I wouldn't put any of the other four here. Maybe Willem Dafoe. Okay, so um, our final category, the, what the big one here, Best <laughs> Picture. Uh, we have Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, Stars Born, and Vice. All right. The well, big one. I think the Academy is going to pick Roma. Yeah. I think that's probably true. I think I think that's right. I mean, there's a lot to like about Roma. It's a it's a very serious drama, which they tend to pick. For it's also like picture created in a very classical style. Like there's right. a lot of like callbacks to like some classical Italian and French cinema in this like that you can see, you know, there's a lot here. of directorial artistry, which they like to see. Um, yeah. And it, it does touch on relevant topics. You know, it's set in Mexico in the 1970s. It deals with, you know, the sort of the struggle between uh, lower class and upper class people, um, uh, various civil unrest and um, the difference between indigenous people. Um, yeah. And, uh, so it, I think it's, I think there's a lot going for it in terms of what the Academy likes to see in a winner. Uh, so I, I think I agree that that is the most likely pick. Um, in terms of other possibilities, I see, uh, I'd say the top three are Roma, Black Klansman, and The Favorite. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. And my personal pick, I think, would be The Favorite. Just I love The Favorite. Yeah. Uh, like, I can't think of another movie I enjoyed more other than something like Mandy or something that's just crazy. Right, something well, yeah, uh, out of what's nominated. I'm not con- trying to consider yeah. what wasn't nominated because my uh, favorite year was not nominated. But Yeah. In terms of what the Academy likes to see, but also in terms of what I really like this year, I'd say the favorite is definitely um the front runner there. So that would be my personal pick. It's yeah, just I a think great movie, a lot of fun. I'm pretty much on board with you. I think um I can't really choose between Roma and the favorite uh, because I understand the something like the Academy's appeal to Roma. I, I understand why it's so great. Yeah. Um, and I enjoyed Roma quite a bit as well. So. But I'm going to watch the favorite again far sooner than I'm going to watch Roma again. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Like that's, um, that's the big difference for me. I would definitely see the favorite again before I would see Roma. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's our, takes on all the nominees uh we'll, we're gonna see that ceremony on sunday and we'll see how all of our picks played out 
Yeah. Hopefully. And uh, all of y'all at home, let us know what you think is going to win. Let us know what your favorite movies this year were. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Buzzed On Movies. You can also email us at buzzedonmovies at gmail.com if you want to tell us what your favorite movies are or maybe give us some feedback on the episodes. Um, and if you'd like to give us a review, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Google Play Music, Google Podcast, all that. Um, subscribe to us, give us a review, let us know what you think. Um, so and any parting thoughts on these Oscar nominees before we close out, Matt? No, just I'm excited to see what actually happens. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, this is this is the big one. You know, uh, the Oscars may be kind of a joke sometimes, but it's always exciting to see a, a night of the you know celebration of the art of movies. So we're really looking forward to it. We'll give you our thoughts on the ceremony next week after it's aired. Um, but until then, we'll see you at the movies. We will see you at the movies.